Hey everybody and welcome to Reading Between the Lines, a weekly arts and culture podcast all about the people behind the award-winning work at the University Daily Kansan. I am your host Wyatt Hall and alongside me is the always wonderful Nicole Dolan. Hello. On this week's episode, we are joined by two fantastic guests, our very own managing editor Braden Shaw. What's up? And our copy chief Corey Minkoff. Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we'll be talking all about movies. But before we jump into that, let's start out with some of our weekly segments. Nicole, take it away. Absolutely. So every week, you guys know what we do. We talk about what we're listening to and what we're watching. And then also the wonderful segment, Hot Takes, of everyone's hot takes of the week and of their lives. So, Brayden, to start it off, what are you listening to this week? Um, so I've tried to um, listen to some uh, songs that kind of center on the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I typically listen to hip hop and rap. Mostly that's the majority of the music I listen to, but I've also listened to a lot of Kendrick, like Dippin' Butterfly, J. Cole, um, Joey Badass, Denzel Curry, that type of thing, Jay-Z, mm-hmm. Wu-Tang, all that. And then also podcasts. I listen to a lot of, uh, I listen to some movie podcasts, like The Big Picture on the Ringer Podcast Network and The Rewatchables. So yeah, that, nice. that's kind of that's kind of where I've been at recently. How do you feel Dang. about J. Cole's new track? She mad at that ignorance, she wear a heart on the sleeve She mad at the celebrities, low-key I be thinking she talking about me Now I ain't no dummy to think I'm above criticism So when I see something that's valid, I listen It's something about the queen's tone that's bothering me She strike me as somebody blessed enough To grow up in conscious environment With parents that know about the struggle for liberation And in turn they provide her with a perspective And awareness of the system And a fairness that afflicts them And a clearest understanding of what we gotta do to get free And the frustration that feels the worst Seems to come from the fact that most people don't see I, I think I well first of all I like the song, um, but at the same time I think he should have been more aware of um, like releasing it you know because like he's he's saying he's not calling out No Name but then in that Twitter thread that he just released this morning he's like yeah. go follow No Name so it's definitely about No Name and her her uh, <laughs> yeah Twitter I thought it was account. pretty clear <laughs> it's very clear and he's like I stand by every word and I'm like I respect that but at the same time I don't think. I don't think either of them are wrong per se and like their stances, mm-hmm. but at the same time, if you're J. Cole, you got to read the room, man. Like <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where like attacking, not even attacking, like bringing it up in like basically essentially a diss track. People don't want to call it that, but that's kind of what it was. It was a subliminal. It's like a Drake thing where like a subliminal diss for a song. Cause it's clearly about somebody and we know who it's about. And so, I don't know, some people are like, oh, people are being too soft, people too, being too hard on J. Cole. But I'm like, I, we, we don't really need this right now, you know? Like, I feel like it's not even a beef, but, like, at the same time, I'm just like, I think Cole's better than this. Cole's been on the ground marching in Fayetteville, like his hometown and stuff, and Kendrick is doing the same thing, ASAP Rocky, all these guys. Right. But also, I don't even know if No Name was even really calling him out. Because Cole has been doing that. Cole's been about that life, you know, like he's he's been on the streets marching with people. So I don't even know why he should be offended. Also, why are you calling out somebody for um, not wanting to educate people when No Name just started her own book club? So, like, I I don't know. It's a whole mess, but whatever. It's interesting because in her original tweet about all of this, she didn't name any names. She just kind of said a general thing and people just assumed it was about 
J. Cole. Well, she mentioned like your conscious rappers and stuff like that. And people think automatically for this generation, they think of the Kendricks, the Coles, the Joey Badass, those type of guys, which I mean, I, I think it's totally fair for her to call out people just to be like, hey, you need to be using your platform for good. And this is like the time to do it. Like you see guys like Little Baby, for example, who's usually makes a bunch of track record, trap records and stuff, but he released this Black Lives Matter song that is awesome. I mean, he, him, Jack Harlow, other people are doing that usually just do these trap songs are actually releasing like stuff talking about like what we're all going through and what they're all going through in particular. So, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think this is going to be interesting. I think Kendrick's album, whenever it drops is going to be the thing we all need to hear. I think I have a hot take on that actually, because I think I get really frustrated when I talk to a lot of people and like, I, especially like lately, I feel like a lot of like Kendrick's fan base has been really frustrated and seeing, thinking like that, like he hasn't been as vocal as he should have been and like using his platform. And I think that there's like so much ignorance and like, like the people who say that kind of thing and they don't realize that like Kendrick's music has been talking about all of these issues since he first like started making music. Exactly. And also he's, He's marching in Compton. He is marching. He's just doing it like as a as a civilian, though, not as a celebrity. Like as but a also the thing is, his statement was five years ago. It's called "Deep in a Butterfly," and it's one yeah. of the best rap out rap LPs ever made. It's true. And he won a Pulitzer Prize for it. Like we don't need to hear anything else. I mean, just go listen to All Right. Go listen to the Black of the Berry. Go listen to King Kunta. I mean, the dude's already done so much for the Black Lives Matter movie and continues to do. And I don't think him releasing some statement on Twitter. He's not even very active anyway, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. He never was very active on social yeah. media because I think that he's just, I don't know. Kendrick Lamar's like woker than the vast majority of us. <laughs> I think he really has his third eye open, honestly. And like, I, I just think that he sees patterns and trends and like, he just views the world in like an elevated way, a way that I don't think that we were able to really able to understand totally. Do you think his album will come out this year? Yes. Okay. I know. I don't. Oh, okay. I think, here's the thing. It's been teased so much by TDE people, especially. Like, Punch has been tweeting about it. Um, Q, Reason, J-Rock, all these people have been alluding to it. Absol, too. Um, And it seems like we're going to be getting a lot of TDE music at some point this year. I mean, there. Pro- I think there have been at least probably three or four albums that have been teased to both supposedly to come out this year, and it just feels like in this climate, a Kendrick album is kind of what's coming. You know, it's the perfect so, time for it. Maybe. Exactly, and so I, I, I would honestly bet yes, especially since it's been over three years since Damn. Hmm. So that's true, Corey. Why don't you think it'll come out? I think that Kendrick Lamar is a master of the slow burn social media technique. And that he really is totally silent, like almost all of the time. He doesn't even like really leak information to other people like purposefully. And that he really wants to play things close to the chest. And that like he's very different from a lot of our like like most like famous like pop culture artists like Drake, for instance, who like is like teasing at like an album drop like every other month because there are albums that drop like every other month. Angel Kumar is very like purposeful and methodical in his album and like his music making and he's really like an artist in every sense of the word. And that like, he takes all the time that he needs to produce art uh, that he sees like, as like fit, like for himself, like he doesn't make it for anyone else. Um, like it's like a gift that he shares it with us. So uh, I, I, he can drop it anytime. I don't think he needs to drop another album. I think that he's given us uh, more than enough that we deserve. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Um, so Corey, when you want, when you listen to, I'm listening to Kendrick Lamar this week. Nice. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs>
your insecurities written all on your face So predictable your words, I know what you're gonna say Who you fooling or you assuming you can just come and hang With the homies but your level realness ain't the same Circus acts only attract those that entertain Small talk, we know that it's all talk We live in the laugh factory every time they mention your name Ask where the hoes at to impress me Ask where the money bags to impress me Say you got the burning stash to impress me It's all in here He's, he's, you know, he really like has made so much music over the like course of like a, a very short career that is just so touching and inspiring and more relevant now than at any other point in American history. I think that Kendrick Lamar, as I said before, like really like sees patterns and trends that we don't notice like in our everyday lives. And uh, he just happens to do it over like a drum or bass that like in a way that really sounds like funky and like cool and fun. Um, so I think he's a prophet in every sense of the word and that he really sees things that are coming before they do. Um, and also I've been listening to a lot of Caribbean music, really into Ernest Wranglin the last few days below the baseline. I actually heard it uh, on public radio when I was in Colorado Springs and I really vibed out to it. And so nice. this is where I am now. Good. So you're just vibing. You're just chilling right now. I really now. am now, for real. Yeah. <laughs> Wyatt, what are you listening to? So I like to try to keep up with new music releases as much as I can. And I feel like um, in the last week, the new album from Chloe and Hallie, I really, really enjoyed. Um, it's it's a lot of, you know, kind of bass heavy, sexy sounding R&B. <laughs> and I, I think um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of their first album, but their second album has really just hit all the right notes for me, for sure. Mm. Are you super into Do It? This, I think the song, I, I don't know if there is a song on the album that I don't like, and that's generally a good sign of a great album for me. So to kind of segue into our next little bit, um, what are we watching this week? So, Brayden, I'll let you start it off again. What are you watching? Um, recently, I've been going through, I went through the entirety of Spike Lee's filmography, Oh, nice. Um, Ooh, that's a lot of movies. Yeah, so um, there were two that I wasn't able to find. So Jungle Fever and Bamboozled I haven't seen just because they're not available anywhere. But the other 21 films um, I've kind of gone through. I guess I, I didn't re-watch Inside Man and Black Klansman, but I'd already seen them. So mm-hmm. that was really interesting. Um, Spike especially- Lee's discography is like insane for his age. Like he's like a middle-aged man. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's already well, made like 20 films. <laughs> it's insane. Well, if you think about it though, I mean, he he's 63, I think. And he started making movies. I believe he graduated with his master's from NYU in like the mid eighties or something like that. And so, I mean, he started like in his twenties, right? Yeah. So, um, she's got to have, it was 86, I believe if I remember yeah, that's right. That's much earlier than I think. And so, that's crazy. yeah. And so, cause do the right things is third film. A lot of people, some people think that's his first really? one. Yes. That was his third film. Cause she's got to have it school days and then do the right thing. Now do the right thing. I don't, in my opinion, he has not eclipsed do the right thing. I think that will be his masterpiece forever. And like mm. everybody, it should be required viewing for any and every person like ever. But uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, there are some films that I think warrant that 
but um, he, yeah, I mean, some, some filmmakers like Spielberg's made like 30 features, Scorsese's made like 25, Soderbergh, I mean, he didn't start till like 89 and he's already made over 30 films. I mean, some guys, and then you have like guys like David Fincher, who's only made like 10. Paul Thomas Anderson's made like eight. Wes Anderson's made nine. I mean, it just kind of depends on some, some filmmakers, but Spike Lee's, Spike Lee's filmography has got a lot of gems. I will say he's not just do the right thing in Malcolm X and Defy Did you see Malcolm X? Yes, I have. What did you think? Uh, It's amazing. I think (laughs) Denzel. It's amazing. No, seriously. I, I think, well, so I think Denzel not winning for Malcolm X is probably one of the greater travesties. It really um, is. For, I think it proved the, a lot about like here's, how here's biased the, thing, the Academy was too. But here's the thing though. The problem is that was Al Pacino's Oscar win. And Al Pacino had not won before. For Serpico? No, he didn't win for anything. He didn't win for Godfather. He didn't win for Dog Day Afternoon. Not for Serpico. Um, not for not for anything. Dude. Any of it. Scarface, nothing. And so... Um, Scent of a Woman was that year. And so uh, they had to give it to him. Not saying Scent of a Woman is his best role. I don't think anyone would say that. But at the same time, if you hadn't give it to Al Pacino, and Denzel had technically already won by that point. He won for Best Supporting for Glory a few years before that. So it's not like he was due per se. Although Malcolm X is by far one of his best performances. And he I really- I think Malcolm X is like worlds ahead of Glory, honestly. And Glory was an amazing performance in itself too. Well, he Malcolm also- Malcolm X, it feels like you're watching like the real Malcolm X. It's insane. Yeah. And he also won about nine or 10 years later for Training Day um, for Best Actor. And so, which was, which that was a historic award because- he won for best actor. I'm sorry, I'm going like a little film history tangent. But no, you're good. I love this. <laughs> he won for best actor for Training Day. Halle Berry won for Monsters Ball for best actress, and then Sidney Poitier won a, a Lifetime Achievement Award for. So three black actors won Oscars that night, which was so, which is a crazy thing for the early 2000s just in general. So that was mm. that was a historic night. Denzel's awesome though, and Spike's yeah. awesome, and he's and I I hope. The people, I know we're going to talk about it later, but the five bloods, um, Delroy Lindo, I know he's getting a lot of talk and I don't mean to jump ahead here, but he's, he's another guy that, um, has, has done a lot of great work in spike films. I mean, his performances in Crooklyn and clockers and, um, and especially people are seeing it into five bloods now. I mean, he's Delroy Lindo is an incredible actor and I'm hoping, and I love that, there have been so many great people that Spike has worked with. I know, I mean, Edward Norton and Barry Pepper in, 20, in 25th Hour, Delroy Lindo, Denzel Washington, Samuel L. Jackson, Wesley Snipes, Danny Aiello, Ossie Davis. I mean, the list goes on for so many for so many great people. Halle Berry's first, first uh, film credit ever was in Jungle Fever in Spike's film. I mean, Spike has just put so many people on, people of color on, um, and he, he is Spike Lee is legitimately one of the greatest filmmakers that we've ever seen, I think. And I think it's I think, his authenticity that does that. Well, the thing is though, he's so provocative and he's so, um, in your face. He's not, I wouldn't say subtlety is something I would associate with Spike, but at the same no, time, definitely not. <laughs> no, but I don't think, but the thing is for some people that's a detractor, but for Spike, he uses it almost as a weapon. I mean, he, he is so able to not necessarily hide his message, but at the same time to get his point across, that's kind of what you have to do sometimes. And he, he loves talking about the intersection of race and sexuality and like sexual relationships and stuff. Those are two important themes. Fatherhood is another big one for him. 
And I mean, he's been talking about this stuff that we're going through right now, Black Lives Matter stuff. He's been talking about it for 30 plus years. And I mean, they basically, it's funny, the Academy doesn't like him at all because they chose Driving Miss Daisy for the 89, I guess the 90s award, 90 awards for best picture and didn't nominate Do the Right Thing for him, best director or for, for best picture. And then Black Klansman comes along. They finally give him an Oscar for best adapted screenplay, but they choose Green Book. So essentially they pick Driving Miss Daisy <laughs> twice and basically screw him over <laughs> twice. And I, I don't know. He's just one of the most disrespected legends. And he, he deserves to be in the same breath as Scorsese and Spielberg and Kurosawa and Coppola and is. Hitchcock. No, yeah, I, agree. I don't think, I don't think he is though. I don't think he gets the flowers that he deserves. And I mean, we see him that way though. And that's right. true. But the public, <laughs> the public does not. We are the public. <laughs> I, I think the public, I think the public sees him as a, as a crazy Knicks fan. Seriously, I think a lot of people think of the Knicks fan, Michael Jordan, Spike Lee, especially with like The Last Dance recently and stuff. And Well, I think that's also he, because like black film, like like even like today still is like seen as something that's like not at the forefront. Like black film, there, there's like we like as a, as a society, like in America, we see like regular film and then we see black film as if it's something that's like other or different, as if it's not a part of like the same American history. And I think that's why he gets downgraded so often, especially by white audiences who not only don't care about his message, but like more importantly, just don't understand it because they can't understand his own perspective. Well, the same thing is though, a lot of one thing that is, um, and I'll wrap up this tangent real quick, but um, one thing that's associated with Spike is excess. People think he's excessive with how he shares his message and how he puts it really in your face. And there's a lot of, I bet some people watched do the right thing right on and thought, Oh, this character bugging out and all this other thing really, <laughs> Whoa, what's going on. But at the same time, that's how you got to share it. And also two things I want to add. I don't, Spike Lee is not the only and definitive black filmmaker. There's so many great black filmmakers out there, especially nowadays. I mean, Barry Jenkins, I think is one of the best ones working today. Um, and Ava DuVernay and so many others, but also Spike Lee made the definitive nine 11 movie. And I don't know if many people know that. Um, 25th hour, uh, which it basically takes place like the months after 9-11 is an incredible film, one of his best ever and criminally underseen, especially since it's not on like streaming services now. But I'd highly recommend people go check that out because it's an incredible film, incredible cast. And he, he, Spike, is, Spike is a special filmmaker, man. He, he, he is, is. He's quite amazing. I want to talk about what I'm watching this week. Okay, Corey, go what ahead. are you watching, bud? Okay, okay, let me go through my letterbox diary. Hang on just a second. I'm, okay, so this last week I watched, so last night I saw, night, it's been a weird week. We have Night at the Museum last night, a really like touching piece on like, like um, uh, uh, fatherhood and um, uh, stuff. Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> uh, the night before that was The Last Black Man in San Francisco, uh, Ratatouille. <laughs> Clueless and American Graffiti, which I watched the day before my birthday. Uh, and that was the first time I'd ever seen American Graffiti, actually. I watched yeah. it because I was on a Harrison Ford binge before that. Oh, so I watched nice. The Fugitive. Um, oh. Uh, oh, what is it? Um, oh my gosh, it's not a very good movie. Um, Clear and Present Danger, Air yep. Force One, Raiders, um, actually, like the entire Indiana Jones franchise. Um, and I also started Pose this week, but I haven't um, yes. gotten past the first episode yet. Pose, you should commit to that because that's probably one of the better 
uh, like Netflix series that's not Netflix series because it was on FX, but one of the best shows on Netflix to watch right now in, in general. But um, you binged Indiana Jones again last week. I watch Indiana, like the entire Indiana Jones series, usually like once a month at least. Wow. Um, that's all. Awesome. And it's not, and it, I mean, it's really because Steven Spielberg is like, not necessarily one of my, I mean, he's one of my favorite directors. I think that he's an excellent director. Um, I, could, I don't think he's necessarily like one of the greatest directors like in all of human history, but like his movies just like touch my heart so much. And Harrison Ford is like my hero and my like number one icon in this world. And so seeing those two characters in real life, like combine, uh, just make me like, I'll just watch hypnotize for hours. Does this include the crystal skull? Absolutely, it does. Okay. I will watch, and that's how much I have a crush on Harrison Ford. Is I just want to watch. <laughs> it really isn't that great. Oh like I'll still tune in. Why? What are you watching? So I've actually been doing the reverse of Corey, and I've been watching a lot of TV shows recently rather than movies, um, which means I'm falling behind on my movie watching. But it's it's fine. I uh, but I just actually for the first time started The Wire. Um, have never gone through it and I've been hearing all about it and I I'm almost through season one I think I have one episode left and I have really enjoyed it so far um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it because again people call it an all-time great and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing why mm. well um that's everyone for that uh, so I guess we're moving on to hot takes Corey you said that you had one um, I have two actually. One one is much bigger than the other. Um, <laughs> Why don't you start with one, the smaller one? I'll start with the smaller one. My uh, the smaller one is that I think I I don't uh, enjoy uh, Timothy Chalamet in film at all. Actually, wow. Um, I think that he's had well. I think that he's had incredible chemistry with a lot of characters and a lot of the actresses, especially that he's worked with. And I think that's just because he's a pretty boy. And I don't mm. think that he has any real talent in the way that he presents himself. I think that every character looks exactly the same. I don't think that he ever reaches to any level of like real emotional depth besides just crying or whining. Um, and uh, honestly, every time that I hear that he's in a movie that I want to see, I, I cringe up a little inside and uh, I usually stay home. And that's why it took me so long to see Pretty Woman. Pretty Women. Wow. <laughs> Not wow. Pretty Woman. I did take a long time <laughs> to see Pretty Woman too, but it's a very different movie. Um, I also highly recommend that one. It's fantastic. Um, um a, a lot movie. of a lot of indie people are gonna come for you, I feel I'm like. A okay with that. I just don't care. Yeah, I wish that um all of you listeners back home could just watch Brayden throughout that entire uh, <laughs> little Corey bit because he just I would like to see him prove me wrong. Like I like seriously, like what am I Corey, did I lie? Corey, did I can lie? I ask, <laughs> can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? Of course you Real can quick. And I honestly I genuinely just want to know what films have you seen with Timothy Chalamet? <laughs> if you like if you base this off one film, okay. <laughs> See, that's what I was gonna say. I just don't like him. What films are they? It's, what it's, films it's, are they? It's really just because he's prettier than me, and that's oh, it. But Harrison Ford like, is so prettier than jealous. me too. So you're like just him. jealous. You're just I might jealous. Be. What were the serious. movies that you've seen him in? Yeah, Little Women. I saw and what? I saw Lady Bird and I saw Little Women. I just like Pretty okay. Women before. Yeah, <laughs> you said Pretty Women. It's okay. I'm sorry. I just saw Pretty Woman again. It's an excellent movie. It's so different though. It's not the same. Corey, yeah. you got You here's the thing. You have to if if you go watch two films, Call Me by Your Name and okay. Beautiful Boy. If you could watch those two films and honestly Incredible. still have this take, 
I will be shocked. That's all I will say about that. Because okay. I think Timothy Chalamet is one of our best young actors right now. And that, I mean, that's fine if you genuinely. He's one of our best young actors right now. <laughs> okay, that's beautiful. I mean, boy, fine. beautiful boy is not talked about, but his performance in it is just incredible. So yes. why is didn't it get like the same acclaim as a lot of uh, because the rest uh, of the movie was okay? Amazon, well, that, but Amazon, Amazon also didn't push it quite as hard for award stuff. It kind of got lost in the shuffle. Steve Carell also had some buzz briefly, but. I, I liked it. I liked the film. But, yeah. I I genuinely Ooh. think that his role in Lady Bird is his like worst, just because I don't. Well, he he also doesn't have that huge of a part though. That's more that's of a Lucas, true. Lucas that's true. Hedges insertion movie than a Timothy Chalamet insertion. That's movie, true. I, I love Saoirse Ronan though. I think Lucas Hedges so is so talented. That, oh, he's okay. Wait, I have I, I I have another hot take. No, <laughs> <go ahead. laughs> okay, okay, Corey. It's way bigger, and that's that. Kingdom <laughs> of the Crystal Skull is actually like a really good Indiana Jones movie and people knock it all the time for being the worst Indiana Jones movie. And the fact of the matter is like, it may not be the best. It's certainly not the worst. I think that temple of doom is like a racist nightmare of (laughs) plot lines that don't make sense and characters that have no depth and aren't interesting. And uh, and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is this really fascinating look at a different time with like the Soviet Union, uh, with a sci-fi villain that's like not really totally understood, but has these like religious undertones, but aren't like fetishized into like into like just being like an other culture. Um, I think that it's like trying to tell a story of like an otherworldly type of Indiana Jones uh, uh, narrative, which I love so much. Uh, and everyone disagrees with me, and that's okay. That's fair. I've only I, seen it oh, once, thanks, and man. I don't remember hating I, I mean, it, but I was like, eh. yeah. I So I haven't seen, full disclosure, I have not seen Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls in probably since it came out, honestly. Yeah, that's the wow. same for me. Yeah, so like, I don't remember it that well. I will say, Temple of Doom, you are spot on. That movie did Thank not you. age well. No, it did not. Short round and all that. No, It wasn't no. like, it was not like that sensitive when it was released. <laughs> it was like but here's the thing, when it came, out, when it came out in like the mid 80s, that was a completely different time. But so the thing like, is, like, I also still watch that movie, like, regularly. Yeah. I just cringe her the entire time because I feel like <laughs> there's just so much, like, unnecessary that, like, yeah. didn't need to be in there that just yeah. ended up. But Basically, like Harrison Ford as James Bond for, like, the opening there for a second. Yeah, yeah. it's very strange. Um, but, yeah, any other hot takes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, Brayden, you're up next. So I don't know if you guys saw this, but this is inspired by a tweet I made last week. Um that uh so nicholas cage is one of the best actors of his generation um and i that not saying he is the best not saying he's like one of my favorite whatever he might be one of my favorites i don't know but um i think he's one of the best actors of his generation i I think a lot of people know his resume but um i mean he's made a lot of great films raising arizona moonstruck leaving las vegas which he won the oscar for um, face-off adaptation. I unironically like National Treasure, the first one, at least. Like, I it's genuinely think that's story. a fun movie. Yeah. Um, a lot. It's become a meme at this point, especially with like the National Treasure three stuff. But there are a lot of fun. cool stunts in that movie, though. Exactly. Well, a lot of things like, become memes are great at the fundamental level. Yeah. But like, it really looks like they're like in Washington D.C., like in all of these places, like really doing like espionage kind of stuff, and like it's interesting. Like, it's just kind of fun to watch. No, and um, and then real quick, here's a list of some of the filmmakers that he's worked with. <laughs> Brian De Palma, yeah, I just have offhand. 
Brian De Palma, Martin Scorsese, the Cohen brothers, Norman Jewison, David Lynch, Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman, Oliver Stone, Werner Herzog, Ridley Scott, and oh by the way, his uncle's Francis Ford Coppola. And so Really? Yes, his his name is Nicholas Kim Coppola. He dropped the Coppola in became cage so he could like do his own thing just like when michael uh michael uh douglas or no sorry michael keaton (laughs) michael keaton is michael douglas yes that's his real name (laughs) wow wait what wait really so there's two michael douglases no there were two michael douglases and he's like hey i gotta i gotta drop i gotta drop that name and so yes the the name dropping thing is is such a that's a thing in hollywood like spike lee's real name is spike obviously and like other and like I, I, other What's filmmakers real name? Uh, Shelton I believe yeah Spike is way more cool well, no, than his, his mom called him Shelton Spike growing Lee. up oh so yeah that's why. okay yeah, so I think that's why but anyway uh and so I mean he's won the Oscar which obviously that alone isn't I mean some questionable people have won Oscars in the past but uh, I don't know I just think he makes crazy bold choices that I think you have to respect. He's still relevant. I mean, even as a meme or whatever you want to call it, he's still <laughs> relevant today. And I mean, he was just in like, uh, he had a great part in like um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, a lot of people cite Mandy as kind of a comeback thing for him. I don't know. I just think he's a great, a great actor and he genuinely cares about the craft. I guess that's my take. So it's a good take, man. Yeah. It is a good take. Put some respect on Cage. Whenever I think about Nicolas Cage, I feel like he's on the same level of memory as like Nickelback. And um, that's just the connection that I draw. That's just like when I think of Nicolas Cage, like I genuinely think of like A-list actor. Like I think that he's like made his way, like he's made a name for himself that like I like really like respect. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I think for Nick Cage, it's less you know disrespect as people do with Nickelback and more just with how expressive and stuff he is everything he's in is perfect content for taking screenshots or getting gifts or whatever else and turning the wicker man the wicker man gift is ridiculous but yeah so yeah that's my take well Wyatt do you have a hot take yeah I'm actually gonna move away from movies um, I've been trashed for this take several times, so we'll see how hot this is. Uh, I think 24 Karat Magic is by far the best Bruno Mars album. It's I, very good. Yeah, I, I like, think, why would you listen to it at all? <laughs> I, I think, I think the music, when I think Bruno Mars, <laughs> I think, I think of a poppy kind of dance I mean, I know his voice is great, but like when I listen to Bruno Mars music, I want something I can dance to. And I think 24 Karat Magic brings the best element of that compared Mm -hmm. to any of his other albums. Now, I think that Unorthodox uh, Jukebox is great. I think it has a lot of great music, Um, but I think 24 Karat Across the Board is better. And I think doo is outdated. I just Ooh. didn't know you listened to like Bruno Mars. It's kind of surprising, actually. <laughs> I listen to pretty much everything but country music. Fascinating. So, yeah, my playlists go f- on every genre. You don't listen spectrum. to any country music? Not really, no. It's something that I don't like as much about our generation. I feel like we really like have given up on country music as a genre. 
Um, like it's really become <laughs> a great divisive, like who likes country music and who doesn't. And honestly, I really appreciate country music. Like I have a lot of love for a lot of different country artists and I feel like they don't get the love that they need, you know? I think country ha- as a whole has a very important history to music, but I just don't like country music now. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, like I respect cool. country music. I just don't enjoy listening to it. <laughs> That's great. Cool. Right. And like we, what we learned last week, we hate Sugarland. Sorry, Wyatt's dad. Yeah, you That's hate Sugarland. Um, <laughs> What's Sugarland? Exactly. Okay, so we're gonna leave it at that. Um, Wyatt, if you would like to take it, take us to the main little seg. Yeah. So we're gonna Go move on to the main topic of the week, which is movies. Um, obviously, movies is a very expansive topic, so we're gonna try to talk about things that are more timely right now. We will probably revisit in later episodes with stuff like Academy Awards and specific actors and actresses and things like that. But for now, we're gonna try to stick to topics that will. Um, that really pertained to what's going on right now. And we're going to start out by going around the table and introduce yourself as a movie watcher. How often do you watch movies? What, what would you consider your tastes? What are some of your guilty pleasures that not everybody else respects? That kind of thing. We'll start with Braden. Okay. I feel like every answer I give to any of these questions, Corey's going to make fun of me, but it's okay. I, I don't definitely care. will. It's a safe space. <laughs> Except so, for this Corey. is not a safe space. It's, it's a not, dangerous no, space. I, I said I know besides that, you. I know this is not a safe space. As soon as you bring in Corey, you know it's not a safe space. Oh, God. Corey's just going to be laughing at me the whole time. Um, but no. <laughs> so um, I will say this. Currently, at the recording of this podcast, I have watched 246 movies this year. And um, what and day I, in the year are we? Uh, I know the midpoint is like 180. Not something. far enough to have watched that many movies. <laughs> I, know the, I know the midpoint's like 180 something, and that's like the first week of July. But um, but uh, anyway, so like I just real quick, I kind of started like getting into movies really like deeply, probably like the Wolf of Wall Street, uh, 12 Years a Slave. I think I was like 2013, I want to say that year um it's kind of when i started following movies pretty heavily and then i it just kind of grew from there um and i have a film minor at ku and i just kind of have kind of given myself my own little film school in a way just trying to watch as much as i can that type of thing and so i try to watch a movie every day but um that i i just kind of try to try to watch a little bit of everything so like i wouldn't say I have like a favorite like genre or something like that. I, if I had to pick one, I'd pick like noir or crime films because I just think those are interesting. Um, but I, I kind of try to watch a little bit of everything just because I think it's good to be like well-rounded and stuff like that and kind of just just be able to have conversations with people about it too. Um, and also, this is going to be a boring answer, but I don't think guilty pleasure should be a thing. And that Ooh. might be a hot take in and of itself. But I, I think guilty pleasure is just something that we invented to like, I don't know if it's like make ourselves feel bad or like try to like section off from like the pop culture thing or whatever, but like love what you love, man. Like oh. if you, if you <laughs> love, love this film, take. if you love a film, like unabashedly adore it, unabashedly talk about it and like be passionate. Like passion is awesome. And so like, <laughs> if you love a film that like everybody hates or whatever, like, I think you should like be able to express that, you know? And so 
I, I think some films that I like, maybe other people don't. People don't like. I love Tombstone, for example, and I think some people kind of look at that movie and like brush it off as like a fake western or like not a, not a real thing. But like, I, I was named it. after Tombstone. You were okay. That's awesome. That is incredible. Um, I love that film. But uh, and like people probably make fun of Heat. I know I have. I will die on the hill that Die Hard is a Christmas movie and all those type of takes and stuff like that. But I don't know. Just love the films you love. That's kind of my answer to that. That was the most wholesome hot take we've had on the show, and I adore <laughs> it. I don't think you should love the films you love. Personally. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Corey. The, now, the, like, now, there are some bad takes. Like, if you think, like, Green Book is, like, the greatest thing ever or, like, you're watching The Help right now for some reason. I know that. I never saw Green Book, but, like, I heard it was a great movie, honestly. I it, thought it was a good movie. I, I think it's enjoyable. I don't think it, it deserves it has, best I, picture. I will say this. So I will say this also, just to amend this real quick. I think it is possible to enjoy something but also be able to fully acknowledge its flaws. So like, I don't think liking Green Book in and of itself, like makes you a bad person. Like that narrative was so stupid. People were, like shaming people that like Green Book. But like, I think you can also acknowledge that it has its shortcomings. It has its flaws. And, you know, I think the white savior complex is like a real thing in film, but I don't know. That's my, that's my two cents, I guess. Corey, tell us about your movie watching habits. My movie watching habits are so bizarre. I love, I, I, I'll start, I'll give a preface because like, Brayden like loves film and compared to Brayden, I, I think that most cinephiles, I enjoy film and I love film. I do not consume anywhere near as much film as Brayden. I don't think any of us do. Like I am continually impressed by Brayden's film knowledge. It's It's crazy. Impressive. Genuinely. It's an unhealthy obsession is what it is. Let's be, it's not unhealthy. (laughs) It's inspiring. Truly. Um, Because I think like anyone being passionate about something like that, like to that degree, it's just like, it's a, it's cool to see. Um, and it's amazing. Like, I do. I love film. I watch probably I typically like on a given week, I'll watch at least one film a day. Um, I usually watch like two to three or like I usually watch like three to four like new movies a week. Um, I have not ventured far enough beyond like 1970 to say that, like, I have a holistic understanding of like the history of, uh, of cinema. Um, but I, I enjoy the classics. Um, but yeah, I usually, I kind of go all over because I, I, I love sci-fi. I love Westerns. I love romance and I beyond love mafia, like mob mafioso crime movies yes. are among my favorites. Uh, yeah. It's why Martin Scorsese is like one of my favorite directors. Uh-huh. Um, I think that he's like the choice of director for like most angry white men, which is kind of frightening, but like he makes fun of angry white men in almost all of his movies. And I think that most people, but I think like a lot of the white men who watch his movies seriously misunderstand the premises of them. Yes. Um, But he is one of like the greatest artists of our generation. Uh Um, And for guilty pleasures, I, uh, if I, if I had to near, I agree with Brayden's answer. I don't think you should feel guilty about liking any movie. Um, but like, if I had to choose like one movie that like would not be in my category for like best films of all time, but that I enjoy so much, without a doubt, it'd be Step Brothers. I think it's like maybe <laughs> that's, like the that's funniest awesome movie. movie ever Great made. Movie. Yes, um, and I think like it'll age. It, like every single year that I've watched, it, I've never come back to it and thought like this has aged poorly. Like it just gets funnier and funnier every single time that I watch it. Um, and I think it, Will Ferrell is just like a genius. I think he's hilarious. <laughs> he won the Mark Twain Prize for humor. Like he's he's a master improviser and comedian. <laughs> um, yeah, he he. It's Step Brothers is a gift to us by Adam McKay. 
Whenever Will Ferrell comes out with somebody to present at an award show, I immediately know it's going to be better than every other presenter. Yeah. It's hilarious every time. <laughs> He's awesome. He lives comedy, man. And that's why I love him. Nicole, tell us about your movie tastes. Oof. I feel like I am the like baby on the train of movie watchers. So feel free to roast me, everyone. But um, I kind of grew up with movie nights with my parents. Um, I'm pretty sure the like first movie makeout, you know, scene that I saw was probably when I was four, five. So I feel that romance movies are kind of in my blood. So I don't know, Mm. but um, I'm a sucker for a rom-com, but I am also a sucker for watching really bad horror films and making them a joke when watching with friends, you know, just roasting the movie the entire night. I feel like actually, do you enjoy like real horror movies though, Nicole? Um, I enjoy. Well, not just like because I think there's like like jokey ones, and then there's like really like scary movies. Yeah, um, as above, so below, or whatever that was in the catacombs, kind of scared the absolute uh, (laughs) crap out of me. See, I censored myself, Wyatt. There you go. Um, Scared the crud out of her. (laughs) It scared the frick out of me. Um, Just because I think that I don't know. I thought that it was interesting how they analyzed all their sins or whatever and that's why they all died spoiler (laughs) um but um and how they literally had to crawl on their bellies to go into hell so that scared the absolute crap out of me because um as a catholic woman i'm like oh poop that's really scary and real question mark it's based off a true story I don't know, probably not, but um, <laughs> but uh, it was spooky. Uh, um, but I don't know. I feel that um, Halloween movies or spooky movies are best in groups, so that's why I like them. But I wouldn't voluntarily watch a scary movie by myself. I will watch Love Rosie five million times every time I have an existential crisis, though, which is a very underrated rom-com. You should all watch it. Will you say, what was it called again? Love, comma, Rosie. I think the whole watching horror movies with friends is always good unless you have somebody in your group, which I have personal experience with. One of my best friends doesn't know how to handle the suspense and tension of horror movies so he'll talk or do something else to oh, I hate that. himself from the fear that the movie brings on so it depends on who you're doing it with that's true that's true have you guys ever done the thing where you just turn off the volume when it's about to get really scary because you know yeah. it's not going to be scary like because the, mu- the music, the music yeah so I kind of cheat and do that (laughs) if I am watching it by myself, Um, especially when I was watching American Horror Story uh, Coven and when some of the stuff got a little crazy with um, that was like arguably the scariest season, I think. Owner lady that um, do uh, Kathy Bates played the French, yeah, the Cajun woman. Yeah, um, so that was scary. So I turned off my volume and uh, cheated. I guess that's cheating. Do you guys count that as cheating? Yeah, I don't it's know. Cheating. But it's um, cheating. Like, I do it too. Yeah, so it. <laughs> you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I would say um, I actually do put some movies on while I do work on things, Brayden, but um, they're usually not like too serious. But um, I don't know. I'm pretty casual movie watcher. 
So yeah. Yeah, music is so important to building tension things in movies, but we will get to that later. Um, I will end this little introduction section with by saying I um I call myself a movie lover. I'm definitely not, you know, as uh, learned as everybody else here. But um, we are learned men and women. <laughs> uh, but I'm working towards that, and I so I probably watch a movie once a week. I think definitely not every day, but it's just because I don't have time. If I had time, I would. Um, movies are I, an investment, man. It I also really think a time I also think that um, the the great thing about film and like loving film is that every single one of us is in a consistent pursuit of learning more and watching more and so i think i know we're all like four different stages of that or whatever <laughs> but like i think every day is another op this is gonna sound like so fake emote fake motivational post it's true so it's <laughs> true. Like, seriously i think we all no one knows everything right no one has seen everything i mean no one's even close but i think part of the awesome part of loving this medium is always having that thirst for knowledge and wanting to wanting to see more and know more and experience more. So, yeah. Movies are great. Yeah. I uh, I think I think my taste I I like to look for stuff that has tension and and things in it. Um, but I also I kind of view movies as an art form that is geared towards entertainment. So, there when I watch movies, I look for something that's going to keep me engaged and I think is enjoyable to watch. So there have definitely been art pieces that people have been, you know, plotting all over the place that I watched. And I'm like, yes, this is an objectively beautiful movie. I just didn't enjoy it. I don't think I would watch it again. Um, and so it's that an kind example. of, uh, what was the, what was the movie that everybody was talking about? Ethan Hawke a couple years ago. First reform. Oh, I thought that carefully. I, I thought that movie was like objectively a great, beautiful movie, but I just personally don't was think Ethan Hawke in boyhood. Yes, he was. Okay, good. I was, yes. just, I was worried for a second. Yeah. I, I, I think it was a good movie. I just, I was like, I don't know if I would watch this again. I will say this much. We will be discussing first reform later in this show. Okay. That's all, <laughs> I, will, all I will say about that. Um, but yeah, and I think that kind of loops into my, uh, well, I, I don't, should I even call it guilty pleasure at this point? We've already talked about the term. Um, <laughs> you love, Wyatt. I love movies that this, this comes across as pretty cheesy to a lot of people, but I love movies that take music and kind of incorporate it into the editing and things like that. So stuff oh, like La La Land, stuff like Baby Driver that really take the music and incorporate it into what the characters are doing and things like that just gets me every time. I just love feeling a rhythm in a movie. And again, not everybody likes that. It comes across as cheesy to a lot of people, but I, I can't get enough of it. What about like Birdman? Did I get that? What about Birdman? <laughs> I just said, like, I like, what you about know the it? drums in that movie though, Brady? Yeah. yeah, no, I know cool. what you're talking about. You yeah, know, it's stuff like that. It's when it's when stuff, it's cool. Yeah, it's when the rhythm moves the movie forward. I love it. It combines two mediums of storytelling through music exactly. and through no, like visual effects. You're, you're totally right. I think score when used effectively can be a character in and of itself. It's been 
you know, it's been a very uncertain time for movies. Um, but we have been getting some big ones. And the one everyone's talking about right now is The Five Bloods. Um, what we, we, I think we have now all four watched it, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think of Defy Bloods? Um, I can start. Um, (laughs) so I think Defy Bloods, I, so I coming in, I know we all have like this connection to Kevin Wilmot and all that with the KU thing. He's, he's awesome. Academy award winner, Kevin Wilmot, I should say. Oh yes. Um, but you know, there's a lot of hype coming into it, especially Spike has such a deep connection throughout his films to like real life history and like merging that with like his own like dramatic retelling. And also just the cast is loaded too. Like, I mean, it's an incredible cast. Um, Jonathan Majors, I, I, I know I kind of first discovered him in like Last Black Man in San Francisco. And so I was really, I was really looking forward. To, I think this will be like a coming out party for him. I think a lot of people will see him in this and be like, He's oh so my good. gosh. He's incredible in this. I mean, I think it's been talked about so much, but we need to get the campaign going now, especially when they move the deadline back now to April of next year. Delroy Lindo, I will be shocked, absolutely shocked, if I see five performances this year better than his in this movie. Um, Why five? Because that's the best actor for the Academy Awards. Oh, okay. Like nominations, yeah. Oh, so like, I thought my, you were just I guess, like generally five. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> like I meant four, just... four, that'd be okay. No. But five, no way. No, I just meant like, I. if he doesn't get nominated for Best Actor, then I don't know what we're doing. He's I don't also think like, he will get nominated for Best Actor. Why don't you think so? Because it's not a blockbuster movie. I doubt that like, uh, even what? any more than like a few million people will see this movie. I don't think it's going to be like Here's the thing though, here's the thing. It, it has the Netflix machine behind it. Spike mm-hmm. Lee is a is a household name. Mm-hmm. Um, it now the only thing I could think of that might hurt its Oscar chances. It was released in June. That's the that's the thing that I could think could hold it back a little bit. Um, but also, you have to think you have to think a lot of people are stuck at home. Theaters are closed. I bet a ton of people are going to check this out because it it is that it, this is a this is a big time theatrical release, but it just got put on Netflix. Now, granted, it was always going to be on Netflix, but I guarantee they would have had some theatrical presence, whether it was just New York and L.A. or whatever. But I just think I just think this movie is so special because one of the themes, obviously, it's so there's so many things to love about it. The score, Terrence Blanchard's score, who he's worked with Spike forever. He's wonderful here again. Um, just, in, I think, I think the intercutting with like real life events and like the actual narrative story works really well. I know that doesn't, that doesn't work for a lot of people. I think the, the aspect ratio change when they go between the Vietnam, aspects, super cool. I think yeah. it works so effectively. And I think it was so, it was so great, even especially as they were like old men still in the memories. Cause that's like yes. their, their recollection. Right. Of it, I thought that they was so cool. Like that. And also, um, I, I also love just kind of as a film nerd thing, uh, Spike Lee's favorite movie ever is Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And like, he, there, are, there are multiple homages to that in Apocalypse Now in this movie. Um, I, I just think that also- um, There were some great, pretty like, like, 
blunt <laughs> like, no. s- like techniques that he used like that oh were just, yeah like, no well no for sure and, and well. that's that's also just spike style yeah you know? and uh i just love his depiction of ptsd mm, and yes. the, the horrific effects because i think the best war films like i think of paths of glory and now and now this one too and even platoon and others is showing the horrific effects of war and how war isn't this glamorous thing that sometimes it's made out to be they these people are really going through it and even especially when they come home and like Delroy Lindo's character, especially in this. But one thing I wanted to touch on real quick before I'll, I'll yield to Corey here um, is I think Spike is such a great director when talking about fatherhood. And I think in this movie, the relationship between Delroy Lindo's character, Paul, and um, Jonathan Major's character, um, I, I think that relationship is really the core of this film. I know the brotherhood aspect is there too, absolutely. And especially Storm and Norman, Chadwick Boseman's character in the back as well. But I think that fatherhood relationship, if that doesn't work, this film, this film doesn't work at all. And that, that scene, you guys know, the, the scene where he steps on the landmine or whatever and pulling the rope and stuff like that. I think that's one of the most gripping things that Spike's ever filmed. And it's, it's, a, it's a great scene. This is a great movie. And I, I think it certainly lived up to the hype and kind of what we needed right now um, from Spike Lee. That scene is so good just because they're, those two are going back and forth the whole movie talking about how mad they are at each, at each other. And then they get put in this tense situation where he, the father is, is put in a place where he might lose his son from this situation. And it just shows how despite the situation – he they come together and hug after he makes it out and one one thing i will add real quick sorry i said i was done but um the relationship between clark peters character and um his his daughter that he finds out about basically that he didn't know he had that's a great relationship and also results in another great dolly shot um it's the one where him and his daughter are kind of they're kind of moving towards the camera that's like a staple in spike lee's film filmography i think the best one's probably in malcolm x with uh, that sam cook song playing in the background um, but I just, that's such a effect. super nerdy thing, but I love that too. It's really okay. cool. My turn. Yeah. 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 Okay. Ahead. So Sorry. here, here, okay, here I go. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, re- I, I truly do believe that this will go down in history. as like not only like a quintessential, like Vietnam war movie to like educate yourself more on the war, but just as like one of like the greatest Vietnam war movies ever made and that it really is just such a, a, a bold and challenging perspective that he chose to take and not telling it from the perspective of five people who are currently fighting in the Vietnam War. Next, I think it's just so important because this really, I mean, Spike Lee has, has made a, like a history for himself and a name for himself by telling untold stories, uh, and it, like primarily like untold stories in the black community, which is something that he's extremely passionate about. And it's a beautiful thing. But this really is an untold story that like should not be untold something that that we like in america like it's, it's a history that like we've we've totally we've used like whiteout to like paint over it as if it was something that didn't happen and vietnam war movies up until this point have seemingly like exclusively been told from a white person's perspective and the effect that it had on all veterans white veterans included was horrific and nightmarish but to see like the the added complexity of a situation when you add in these black gi's who not only didn't necessarily want to be there, but were there at disproportionate rates to their peers back home, that they were treated like garbage and trash as if they were just to be like discarded bodies. 
uh, it really like sheds more light on the American history that just subjugates and dominates African-Americans. Um, and I think that it's a really powerful narrative that like is something that, that you just captured so beautifully in this film. Um, and, and I agree with Braden about the performance as well. This little, the, the piece that caught me the most from his entire performance in this movie, um, it's, it's Delroy Lindo. Yes. Have that right? Mm-hmm. Cause I remember he got me a Malcolm X too. He was really interesting. Yes. Played, West Indian Archie. Like, He's great. In yeah. Um, he had this like Shakespearean monologue. I'm a sucker for Shakespearean monologues. Are you talking, about the, are you talking about the scene where he's like walking, cutting through the forest? Yeah, and he's and, like, like you VA will not kill me. From Sh- whatever from Shining. Yeah, and it's yeah. genuinely frightening. Like you feel yeah. like you're, it's an intimate moment where this person is right up in the, his camera's right up in, the fa- in his face. And it feels like you're having this conversation with this person who like sounds like he's seriously lost his mind. Um, but it's also like a really like scary and like gripping Thing that he's talking about like the words that he uses just like cut through the screen um and and i think that it, it if it should be nominated for best actor but i have i'm less hopeful than Braden. i really don't think that i think it's going to get snubbed um because as i think that like historically like most of these actors happen in the past and i don't think that it's going to get the traction that it deserves also, if it does though it'll be well deserved no and also an important thing to note no actor from a spike lee movie has ever won an oscar before Mm. so um that's he's also which is shameful he's also never been nominated for best director which is so they, yeah doubly so, shameful yeah so i don't know nicole any final thoughts on the five bloods yeah um i guess one of the most gripping parts of it that hit me you know is that um at least in the asian community it's very prevalent that there's anti-blackness within our own uh community but i really didn't really uh, even think about how there's this anti-Asian sentiment within uh, like the black community, specifically those that, you know, uh, are Vietnam vets, you know, I didn't really think about that at all. And so, you know, when Paul's character, <laughs> when he gets those drinks um, at the bar and he's just very, you know, why are they looking at me? Why are they looking at me? That's like the same, the same type of that you know you would experience as like a minority if it was a white person or something like that and so I totally didn't even think about that um also um I thought that it was very clever that clever and also kind of sad that the first person to die was uh the guy that was recording I forgot his um Eddie yeah he he was the first one to die and I was like dang well that makes sense because he's the one that's like shooting all the you know, personal cam recorder uh, footage. And I'm like, dang, that makes sense. I was like, oh my gosh, Um, which is such a little baby thing, but that caught me. Um, And I also liked how he incorporated music every time they were just singing to each other alone. Marvin Gaye is incredible in this movie. I wanted to say, like, can we talk about, like, how he took just, how did he get, okay, first of all, how did he get just the vocals for what's going on? I feel to like, sound like it's literally just Marvin Gaye singing you a lullaby I while f- you're sitting down and watching this movie. It's the magic of Spike, man. I feel like you say, he Nicole? must have released some sort of like stripped version or something and huh. had to dig it up because I've never heard it before though. Yeah, yeah, I know. But so I it's probably, that's, wait, go ahead. No, <laughs> you're good. It's probably, it was probably, he had to probably dig real deep for that one, but. Um, I was just very impressed by it. Or it was just not released. 
you know, so. Also cool how he named the five main characters after the Temptations. Very fascinating. Right? Wow. I, didn't I did not even think about that. I mean, there's a line of dialogue in the in the film where he's like, uh, David, oh, like David in the Bible. He's like, no, David Ruffin from The Temptations. But like, mm-hmm. actually, if you look at all the main characters are named after members of The Temptations. I had to look, I had to look that up after the fact. So I didn't just know Spike that. Lee is so good. Yeah. And and speaking of that, we, we talked a lot about Spike Lee earlier in the show. Um, but for you guys, when you're looking at what's being made right now or in the past couple of years, are there any other directors that stand out to you as people who are making works that will be considered, you know, influential or important um, years, decades down the line? Uh, yes, I have a quick list if you want me to run through it real quick. Um, so I think directors that already and a lot of these guys started from the 90s or before um but i mean you can think of like scorsese and spike lee's kind of like the upper the upper classmen if you will that have been doing it for a while and spielberg as well though i will say this spielberg has not had an had a movie that has actually shook the culture in 22 years i mean if you think about it saving private ryan what has he released since then that has actually had a deep like Super eight. Like, well, that wasn't him that he produced that. That was JJ Abrams. But um He's produced so much though. Well, no, that's fair. I'm just talking about his directing. But anyway, that's beside the point. I think Quentin Tarantino, I think David Fincher, I think Paul Thomas Anderson, I think Wes Anderson, Steven Soderbergh, uh Richard Linklater. Um, I think those guys who who kind of started in that like nineties indies indie wave, like it's weird that like David Fincher's first movie ever was Alien Three. But like he, um, he he's gone on to make great films. I know I love people. A lot of people love like Social Network and Fight Club and Zodiac's a personal favorite of mine. Paul Thomas David Anderson. Fincher. Everything he makes is wonderful. He's incredible. And um, and his film coming out later this year, I'm super excited for. I don't know if you guys know much about um, his film Mank, which is based on his dad. His dad actually wrote the script before he died. Um, or I, think I did not died. know that. Yeah. So his, his dad, his father, I forgot his father's name, but his, his father wrote the script and he's making that film about the making of citizen Kane, which I think is going to be awesome. Cause he hasn't made a film since gone girl, but, yeah. um, he's, he's great. I mean, Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson. I think a lot of people still think there will be blood is arguably the greatest film of the 21st century. And some people I know it's like the greatest film they've ever seen. I think Daniel day Lewis's performance is Daniel Plainview is the best performance of the 21st century. Um, he's made a lot of Tarantino. Everybody knows about him. He's awesome. Steven Soderbergh is like arguably the most prolific director working today. Cause he just keeps churning out movies. Um, but yeah, no, I think there's a lot of great, a, a lot of great directors with longevity that are working today. And Wes Anderson's got a movie coming out this year too, sometime. I don't know when it will, French Dispatch, but so. We'll see when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Corey, directors. Um, I have a short list up here. Some of them are not as, um, like are a little newer to the scene. I think that Barry Jenkins already has proven himself to be Mm -hmm. one of the most influential filmmakers of the 21st century. Undoubtedly. Yes, yes. He's stories that are not just incredible in and of themselves, but like specifically for like our time are some of the most like touching portraits that like talk about like race and class and these like issues that like are deeply embedded in our society, but we really have a problem discussing a lot of the time. And he does it in such a, a, a charming and visually appealing way. Yeah. Um, and also just like genuinely like touching the way that he presents those stories. And when we talk about touching, I can't think of a film a maker that made a film in this last year that 
made me feel more than Lulu Wang. And that the farewell just, it broke my heart and put it back together again and broke it again and put it back together. And it just, it challenged me so much, not just in like my oh, yes. understanding of like a different culture, but of my understanding of like what it means to be a part of a family and what it means, like what responsibility we have to those in our family and, and like roles in the 21st century. Like it, it, it just, it was such an interesting commentary on our world that I think it's going to be remembered for a very long time. The farewell um, is so underrated. Incredibly good, underrated. Really cool it, it, it really disappointed me. Uh, like the, the lack of recognition oh, I got. Okay. I thought you said the film disappointed. I was like, wait a second. The film was disappointing. <laughs> no, it was incredible. Um, so any other, uh, Greta Gerwig. Yes, Greta um, Gerwig, absolutely. herself time and time again. I think that she's an incredible filmmaker. If we're talking about filmmakers who have captured the culture more than anyone else in the last like two to three years, Jordan Peele has to be on that list mm. and that he's become like a, almost like an Alfred Hitch, Hitchcock of our generation, creating these well, like Twilight zone kind of films that like, he, he is. Really David Fincher is also another guy that is heavily influenced by Hitchcock as well. But Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele, man, I'm interested to see if he will uh, go away from horror ever. I mean, he doesn't have to, he can do whatever the heck he wants, but I think he's a really super talented. I, I think that he's, uh, he's incredibly talented, but just the yeah. fact that like he could get that many people to like so much of like our popular uh, society, popular society, popular culture, not society <laughs> was like revolving <laughs> around get out and us. Yes. And yeah, like for sure. Not have connected with like the general populace based off yes. of the fact that they were like black movies about black people <laughs> uh, living lives as black people. Like that's not something that like white audiences historically care about. And so, but he was able to capture everyone's attention regardless of that. And I think that's just such an admirable and, and, and incredible feat to be able to capture the world's attention like that. And then also, as always, Paul Thomas Anderson is like the greatest mm. filmmaker of all time. And I think, I think <laughs> he's just incredible. He's awesome. Can I add three more real quick? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, so real quick, Bong Joon-ho. Um, of course. He's, he's more yes. than Parasite, by the way. Memories of Murder, Mother, Snowpiercer. Um, the host. I mean, he, he has some... Uh, incredible films that I that I really just hope I know Memories of Murder is actually getting a Criterion release at some point within the next couple of years but that that's a great film as well he's made so many great films Kelly Reichardt she is coming out with a film that it's coming out this year sometime called First Cow I don't know if you guys have heard about it A24 has been pushing it a little bit but she has so many great films Meeks Cut Off Old Joy Wendy and Lucy is one of the best films made about the 2008 recession that we have I think she's an awesome film uh, filmmaker um, Celine Siama, um, who just made Portrait of a Lady on Fire, her relationship with Adele Hanel. They actually used to be like in a relationship, like dating, but now they just make films together. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't know that. And then there was somebody else that I don't remember off the top of my head, but those three are all great. For so. those who haven't watched um, a lot of Bong Juno's work beyond Parasite, but I think both Okja and Snowpiercer are on Netflix. They are. Um, I don't know if any of his yeah. other movies are. I know oh, um, Parasite is on Hulu, mm -hmm. and then Memories of Murder. If you haven't seen Parasite yet, what, what's going on with you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like seriously, like get in the loop. I want to add one more thing uh, on Jordan Peele. I, I do think the whole, if he moves away from horror is an interesting dynamic. Cause we've already seen that now with one of the bigger names in modern horror with Ari Aster. He is now moving. I think he said he's going to make his next movie a comedy. Um, and it'll yeah, be interesting he, well, to see. He, if said, he says he has 10 scripts that he has like done and he just needs to pull one out of a drawer and make it. So his, yeah. yeah. So he's, he's a really great one. Midsommar is incredible. So of course, Ari of course. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Nicole, do you have it. any directors that you want to add? 
I do. Well, Corey kind of stole Lulu from me, but um, (laughs) it's okay. Um, I remember watching that trailer to The Farewell, and I don't think I've cried at a trailer since like the Joy Luck Club. And then, um, yeah, because she, you know, she gets it right. And Aquafina was just amazing in that, um, getting that, you know, 20 ish year old uh, sort of vibe. And so it was pretty relatable in that way but um I'd also like to see something from Sofia Coppola um or Coppola I can't really pronounce is that her name. Francis Ford Coppola's daughter yeah uh, mm-hmm. yeah and so the virgin suicide's uh, cousin whoa <laughs> that's so crazy honestly uh, I you know the virgin suicides was just amazing um and it's probably one of my favorite movies and so I don't know I think it'd be cool to see something from her and did you also, see the beguiled from a couple years a few years back I did not um, that was a good one but I will check it out I saw the Marie Antoinette one mm-hmm. that she did and so like that was pretty cool um but um, a couple other writers, Justin Simeon and, and Jerry Brown from Dear White People. I just love everything that they're doing with the show. And it's just, I'm obsessed with it. And so I never watched Dear White People. You, you should. I do recommend it for you. Um, it's just everyone is connected and the um, choices that he makes in terms of filming and everything is just it's good. And it's, you know, there's a lot of intention. Um, and the narration is also something intentional and it's just, it goes, it goes deep and I don't know. I love it. So everyone watch Dear White People. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and before we move on, I Ava will... DuVernay. Sorry. That's another one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to throw out one name myself. I think Damien Chazelle, yeah. uh, one of we talked earlier about how directors use movies really that? effectively. He made La La Land, Whiplash, First Man. Uh, those, uh-huh. are, those are the three big movies he's made. Um, and I, I think that first those... man was boring. They're wrong. <laughs> or it's not fun. <laughs> I, 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 but I think in all I those like movies, he uses music extremely effectively. And jazz. He, yeah, awesome. just jazz in particular. He loves jazz, and you can tell he does. And <laughs> he absolutely throughout his filmography. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think he's one of the better directors in Hollywood right now at using music to your advantage. Oh. Um. So now, as I said, we're in a very uncertain time. Um, one thing that's been getting a lot of headlines recently is that Christopher Nolan's Tenet, he keeps saying he wants this to be the movie that brings us back in the theaters. Uh, it just got delayed to the end of July. Uh, we'll see if it actually ends up opening up theaters or not. Um, what is the earliest you guys will go to the theater? Oh, not till next year. Like until there's a vaccine, that's when I'll go. Yeah, I would, unfortunately, I would probably say the same just because it's, I don't know, it's such a risky play right now to be, to sit in an air conditioned room with a bunch of strangers. Theaters were already cesspits. Exactly. Well, I love theaters, but you're totally right. Um, Like it was commonplace for theaters to have like lice infestations, like gross places a lot of the time. And like, um, yeah, they're sticky. sticky. And so Ew. I don't think that you can keep a sticky place clean. I don't trust AMC <laughs> to be like scrubbing coronavirus free from these seats between every single show. Yeah, as someone who worked at AMC, it's not Ooh. not good. <laughs> the the cleanliness, yeah. the hygiene in these places. Watch so for totally lawsuit from AMC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> um, so to end the show out with everybody, we're going to actually 
discuss what we all individually think are the top five movies since we were born. So that's, you know, mostly 21st century. Wait, since we were born? I thought it was of all time. Uh, Maybe Corey will discuss some movies from all time. (laughs) (laughs) If we're doing all time, my list would be very, very different. All right, so my section's going to be different, but like everyone else would do something else. (laughs) Yeah, we'll... uh, Unless Corey, we want to save until the end so you can... No, honestly, I'm more excited about the all-time list, so like I would just do that one. Okay. Well, actually, I'm enthusiastic. We'll s- okay. I'm enthusiastic, but I don't follow directions well. If 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 this was an all time list, I would have to. I would love to do that too, but I am not prepared for that. But it's okay. Yeah. So uh, how this is going to work with the rest of us? We're gonna go. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna go. <laughs> Wyatt, oh my god. Yeah, this is. <laughs> This is going to go. We're going to go Corey's reverse. We're going to go. Well, you can, Corey, you are free to discuss I'm everything. I'm still going to comment on everything. Of course. Um, we're going to go reverse order. Five, four, three, two, one, and go around on each one. Each say are five, each say are four, each say are three, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but before we begin, uh, we're going to go around. And if there were any honorable mentions that didn't make the list, but you still want to give a shout out to, now is the time. Braden, we will start with you. Um, okay. Uh, real quick films that did not make the cut, by the way, one film, I was trying to play by the rules and the big Lebowski was released March of 98. Now I was born in June of 98. So it did not qualify for that this. And I love that film to death. Um, so I just shot that out, I guess. Moonlight, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, uh, No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood, The Prestige, 25th Hour, Parasite, Royal Tenenbaums, Prisoners, Grand Budapest Hotel. This is honorable mentions. This is honorable mentions. Okay. Adaptation. There's there's a ton. There's so many, but <laughs> those are just a few. Great. Nicole, films. what are some movies that didn't make your list? But you want to give a shout out to? Ooh, this is so hard, guys. Um, so I said Crazy Rich Asians because that was just huge for us. Um, <laughs> and then, um, for thank us. you, Corey. Um, <laughs> For all the Asians out there. Um, Uncut Gems is huge for us. Yeah. Uncut Gems is awesome. Uh, <laughs> what a great movie. And then I think I was going to say Her. Her um, is so good. That's a great pick. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's an honorable mention. I would also say Spotlight is an honorable mention. Spotlight is one and, of my honorable mentions as well. Um, any of the Studio Ghibli films are all honorable mentions, specifically Whisper of the Heart, The Cat Returns, and Spirited Away. Mm. So, Spirited Away. Yeah. It's a good one. They're all very good. Oh, also 20th Century Women. It's mm. very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I also had Spotlight on my honorable mentions. Uh, I included, as I talked earlier about Damien Chazelle, uh, La La Land is on my honorable mentions. I think just La La Land. Uh, <laughs> I have The Big Short on my honorable mentions. Uh, I wanted to include some animated movies, and I couldn't decide between Inside Out and Wally as the two animated movies that really hit me the hardest mm-hmm. um, of any of the animated movies that have come out in the last couple decades. Uh, and then I also wanted to shout out Lady Bird in eighth grade as two really oh, great yes. uh, female-led coming-of-age stories. I think they they obviously both hit different periods of, our, of you know, um, you know, young women's lives, but I think they're both equally impactful and emotional and important and you know there's just some great lessons to be told in both of those movies um but we're going to move on to our actual rankings starting at number five brain what is your fifth movie on the list 
Um, real quick, sorry, I just forgot. Lord of the Rings trilogy should be mentioned just yes. as an honorable mention because that those are great films still to this day, and I like the extended editions are awesome. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to mention that real quick. Um, my number five, and again, the order of this is very loose, but these are five films that just mean a lot to me. And so I'd say number five, it's my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film, and I know it's a hot take. And I know I already mentioned There Will Be Blood as like an auto mention, so it's obviously not that, but Magnolia. Oh. (laughs) Magnolia. My favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film. Uh, I know that it's kind of like the redheaded stepchild for like his, because everybody goes to Boogie Nights or The Master or Punch Drunk Love or some of these others. But Magnolia is kind of in the vein of Robert Altman's Nashville which I personally like Magnolia more than Nashville, although I need to revisit it. Um, it's, I mean, I don't know if you, have you guys seen Magnolia just out of curiosity? I have not. Okay. I have not. So it's basically this like interweaving story of all these characters. You have Julian Moore, Paul, or Paul Thomas. I mean, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, rather, uh, Tom Cruise, Jason Robards, kind of this interweaving story. John C. Riley is great in it too. It's kind of just all these people's lives are just, they seem kind of random, but then they're also these events kind of bring them all together. Tom Cruise, his estranged father, Jason Robards is like dying and they haven't talked in years. There's also a, there, there's a scene there, the ending of the film is very controversial as well because there's a there's kind of a um, uh, reference to like a biblical play that seems kind of out of touch but also it um, it also kind of makes sense in the in the grand scheme of things and also I will say the beginning of the film they teach in like film schools and stuff just the the editing of it and just the the details of that attempted suicide at the very beginning for those people who have seen it, they'll know what I'm talking about, but um, that's a great film. I love it. It was made in 1999. Tom Cruise had a great 1999. He did this and Stanley Kubrick's final film, eyes wide shut, which is also a great film. Um, He was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. Didn't win. And then kind of after this, I guess he did minority report a few years later, but after this, this was kind of Tom Cruise's last, like I'm a serious actor role. (laughs) Like after this, he kind of started doing Mission Impossible the year before or a couple years before. And then he kind of went into his action bag. But Magnolia is awesome. I would highly recommend it. Um, it's weird. It's like three hours long. So I know that might be a little off-putting for some people, but I love it. So, Nicole, what's your number five? Ooh, so I had to switch it because I didn't realize that Joy Luck Club was actually in 93 instead of 99. So, um, or I might just break the rules. We'll just go with that um first of all joy luck club as a book is phenomenal um any asian americans slash just anyone of asian heritage that is a woman i strongly advise you to go read this book and watch this movie with your mom you will cry and feel like absolute crap for um every single time that you've talked back at your mom it's just so on the nose um and the book just hits. I don't think I've like, cried as much, <laughs> that much uh, reading a book since I don't even know when um, or just cry during a movie that it just really hit home. It's basically following um, these women and their moms um, that are immigrants and uh, just that dynamic of being a first generation uh, kid and what it's like to have immigrant parents and, you know, um, the Asian culture is very private. So you don't really pick the brains of your elders because it's just like, uh, that's just not what's going to happen usually. Um, and so this gives that brain pickery background, um, of these phenomenal women, um, for you, for the viewer. Um, 
And so it's just, it, it's really good. If you are looking for a drama that is going to teach you a little bit more about being an Asian woman. Perfect. Uh, my yeah. number five, following the theme of music and Damien Chazelle, while La La Land is my favorite movie from him, my most enjoyable movie, uh, I am putting Whiplash at number five for me. Um, I think Whiplash is a phenomenal movie looking at the relationship between you know a, a young student and his just over-the-top mentor. It's extremely intense. The music is just absolutely wonderful, and it takes you on an emotional journey from beginning to end that um, it, it really just it sits with you when you're done. It was one of those movies where after I finished, I sat watching the credits like, wow, that was that was a lot. Um, not my tempo. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah. not everybody's tempo, but no, I, uh, <laughs> you know, J.K. Simmons uh, deserved the Oscar. Uh, Miles Teller's Miles Teller's great in that. Great in that. Um, one of those like Sundance movies, you know, that came out everybody was buzzing about. But yeah, yeah. No, that's a great that's a great pick. It it continue the the soundtrack specifically continues to be in my Spotify rotation. Oh yes, you know, what six years later did it come out in twenty fourteen? I believe I think so. six years later. So yeah, Whiplash I, is great. It's a great pick. I still can't believe that he literally was in a car accident and was just like, oh shoot, gotta go, <laughs> gotta still go perform. <laughs> Put my hand in this bucket of ice real quick that I can drum. Yeah. Um, insane. Insane. Yeah. So anyways, Brayden, what's your number four? Um, okay. So my number four is a film that we brought up earlier. Um, it is Paul Schrader's uh, 2018 film, First Reformed, mm-hmm. um, starring Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried and, and a few others. Uh, Cedric the Entertainer is in it as well, um, playing the pastor of the megachurch. Um, this film, I remember when I was watching, when I saw it in theaters for the first time, I, I don't know if this has ever happened before or since, but I, I watched it and the credits rolled and then the, the lights came up and everybody was still in the theater. And we all just turned to each other and just started talking about the movie we just watched. Like I've never met these people in my life. And we just started talking like, this is incredible. And um, it's, it's almost haunting, you know, kind of just, it, it's a very dimly shot film. Uh, Ethan Hawke, um, his performance in it, especially the ending um, with kind of the, the thorns, kind of the whole Christ complex thing at the end um, is just super powerful to me. Um, Paul Schrader, his comments on environmentalism and just organized religion and, um, and just, and suicide. And there, there are a lot of things he's talking about in this film and it's, it's just, it's just super powerful to me, you know? And I think that, um, Ethan Hawke, as you kind of watch him walk through this movie as Vern Toller, as character's name, Reverend Toller, um, he just, it's basic. It's one of the best examples in the last 10 years or so of a man going through a collapse of some kind. And that's kind of a theme through movies that I'm kind of gravitated toward. And also films on this list of a, of a man just completely losing like his existential <laughs> crisis basically. And like falling apart, which I just think is fascinating. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love this film. I adore this film. Um, it was my favorite film of 2018, and I think it's one of the best films of the the past decade for sure. And maybe it's one that I need to revisit at some point. I mean, I will say this: it is weird. So, like, I totally get it if it's not your thing. Um, sometimes I don't know. Maybe I'm just into weird films and like some other films, but it, I I love it. I love it. 
Nicole, what's your number four? So my number four is shamelessly La La Land. Love it. <laughs> and so um, I can actually play a few songs from La La Land on the piano, which is a cool time. Just a little tidbit about no. <laughs> um, don't tell me what to do. Um, this is my podcast with Wyatt. What? Uh, um, and co-host. And so <laughs> um, just the colors, the chemistry, um, and how, you know, sometimes life doesn't go the way that you would like it to go. Um, and the cruel truth of that and the growth of each character throughout. Um, just overall, it was so, it hits every time. I, I can't think of a time I've watched it and was like disappointed. A lot of people really don't like the ending to La La Land. And I think it's one of the reasons why I love it so much. I, I'm yeah. not a big fan of the ending. I will, I will fess up. We have one yeah, it's us. really sad, you know? I never saw La La Land because it looks boring. Corey, I'll bring it the next time I see you. <laughs> Wait, also, I made my list and I want to participate. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll get to you in a second. We'll get to you in a second. Um, I, with La La Land, it is legitimately a movie for me that will improve my mood no matter the situation like it, it is my go-to feel-good movie all the time yeah it the soundtrack in general is just amazing um and i think my favorite song on it is the montage that they go through um of all the seasons when they're together um it i just love jazz the, also the, so. the summer montage song um, that plays after the planetarium for like two minutes. Oh yes, was I think my most played song of 2018. I don't remember, but um, yeah, I it, it has gotten to the point where between Whiplash and La La Land, Justin Hurwitz is in my top ten Spotify artists. Oh yeah, solid, absolutely. Wyatt, what do you got? Uh, so my number four is uh, Get Out. I think mm. between the – I have now watched this movie five times. Oh, I okay. uh, and uh, One of those was actually in a class in high school, which was interesting. Um, Wyatt. It, <laughs> well, well, we actually watched it as a class and wrote a paper about, oh, the, okay. about the black <laughs> – You just watched it in the class. <laughs> Sounds fake, but okay. Yeah, we watched it alongside 13th, which were two. <laughs> um, but I, I think – with i think it was so significant to pop culture for a reason i think jordan peele just showed a perfect way of incorporating a movie that is enjoyable to watch and is funny but also is really depressing deep down and i just think that between the pop culture impact and the message it has to tell and the fact that there's something new every single time you watch it uh, puts it number four for me that's dope. That's a great pick. Um, I still think that, that's going to be one of those that we look back on, like get out. Like, why did that not win best picture type of thing? Yeah. Um, especially since it, it, they actually re-released it, you know, before the Oscars, like, because it came out in February, 2017 and a film that comes out in February should not be at the Oscars, at least historically. Mm. And so it's super cool. It's staying power. Yeah, no, it, that's a great pick. I, I genuinely believe that that movie cemented Daniel Kaluuya as one of the best actors in Hollywood for me currently. He's, he's been on incredible, even before that with like Sicario, I mm -hmm. mean, he's 
had a he's had an incredible run. Uh, the criminally underseen widows. Um, Steve McQueen's film from 20, I believe it was 2018, I think, um, that he was in as well. He's been in other stuff too, but uh, Queen and Slim last year and all that. But he's a great, he's an incredible actor. Uh, Corey, let's catch you up. What are your five and four? Hmm. Okay. So this is quick also. So I didn't have that much time to think of. I think these are still good movies. Uh, wait, can I get my honorable mission? Yeah. Sure. yeah. Yes. Okay. So on my honorable mentions list, I've included a lot of things that just like really impacted me, but like clearly weren't the best movies of all time or like could have been, but just weren't, uh, Batman begins, um, war of the planet of the apes, um, Django Unchained, Birdman, the Revenant, Nebraska, the fighter, Step Brothers, obviously paranormal activity, the departed walk the line. One of Joaquin Phoenix's best performances in my opinion Alien versus Predator, one of the greatest <laughs> alien movies ever made. Kill Bill, The Pianist, uh, Kill Bill. another incredible movie about World War II. Yes. Uh, Castaway, American Psycho, Office Space, and without a doubt, The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, yes. Would have been Dude, on that that list. movie slaps. Um, it, yeah. it really does. Um, so for my number five, then, we have Eighth Grade, which was the most underrated of t- movie of 2018. It's so good. I've never seen a film that's so perfectly captured my own experience like through middle school as well as that movie did that it was just it's it was the movie like of our generation that i don't feel like there were enough people to appreciate it for it to get the box office uh success that it should have gotten or for the 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 award-winning success that it should have gotten Mm -hmm. Uh, even though it did win a lot of awards and it did experience a lot of success and was well reviewed i feel like it should have been so much higher up on many people's list my friend and i went and watched um, that movie in theaters when it came out and the scene of her talking to her father at the campfire had us both just bawling in tears it's 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 it, it cuts to your heart truly that's the type of movie that i love the most no, that's great and so number five uh, number four we have phantom thread uh i think it's paul thomas anderson one of paul thomas anderson's most overlooked movies um it is the most charming romantic movie I've ever seen in my entire it's life. So good, and also really challenged my conception of like what it means to like be in love and what it means to like like have like to build a relationship with another person. It's such a unique character study that I think everyone can learn to appreciate. Um, we'll actually start with you on this next one, Corey. What's your number three? There will be blood. Paul Thomas Anderson, one of the greatest movies ever made. And this goes back to the soundtrack again and that the soundscapes that are created for this movie really like, like he has this, this continuing theme, I think, and, and there will be blood, especially where like an entire, for like 10 minutes, you might not even realize it, but you're listening to just like two notes on a, on like a hundred violins for like 15 minutes. <laughs> and you know, like, but it like blends into your ears because it just becomes like a part of the process of watching the movie. And you also kind of realize like, that the music becomes like more intense and more like frightening. Like when you're seeing these like expositional moments of Daniel in the movie or uh, uh, of like Daniel, uh, of Daniel, Daniel Plainview. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then I think it really like helps you like fall, like descend into madness with him as he's like trying to find oil in the, uh, the, the wild West. Um, it's an exciting movie. It's a gripping movie. Um, it's a visually stunning movie. Um, could be number one, but I had other other plans in mind. That's um that's it's a slow burn um for a lot of people too, and it has probably one of the best openings um of a film when he yeah. falls in the mine like that. Um, I think 
Paul Thomas Anderson has a knack for these leading men. I mean, I think of Joaquin Phoenix in the in the Master. I think of Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love. I think of Daniel Day Lewis in Phantom Thread and There Will Be Blood. I think of Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights. Um, Tom Cruise and Magnolia, that type of thing. Uh, these men who are greedy and arrogant, and they're, they're, they have a lot of mommy issues. They're like all well, that, <laughs> but they also have these hedonistic desires that ultimately are their downfall. And I think right. that I, I think that he is, he is so good at telling those stories of fra- honestly fragile and toxic masculinity. I think him and him and Maybe. Scorsese and Fincher and there are so many others that do it too. But he's you know, those those are those are great picks, man. And Robert Ellswit, uh, who shot There Will Be Blood, he won the Oscar for Best Cinematography that year, too. That film is just incredibly well shot. It's beautiful. Yeah. beautiful. Brain, what's your number three? Uh, my number three. Now, the order of these, these next three are very fluid. Um, they all mean a lot to me. Um, I, it's my favorite David Fincher film, uh, Zodiac. Um, it Great movie. Is a film that a lot of people i think slept on when it came out and came out 07 which 2007 by the way is one of the greatest uh years for film ever um i mean that was no seriously i mean that was no country for old men i trust no no country for old men there will be blood zodiac super bad came out that year oh yeah um I mean, I, I'm Michael Clayton. I mean, there are there are so there are so many that I'm even forgetting now um, that came out that year, 2007. Basically, any year that ends in a seven was great if you look back at it. But um, anyway, <laughs> uh, but Zodiac, it's another it's another long movie. Um, I know some people think it kind of falls off in the third act when Jake Gyllenhaal kind of goes in his conspiracy theory bag, but you have Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, uh, Goose from Top Gun. Anthony Edwards um, and uh, RDJ, Robert Downey Jr., um, kind of just uh, trying to find Ted Cruz, basically. Um, no, <laughs> um, the Zodiac Killer. And uh, it, it's a great journalism movie. It's a great detective movie. It's a great noir. Um, I, I think that it really has it, – it's one of Fincher's best displays of him just honing his style – because he makes really like dark movies, not necessarily in how they're like lit or whatever, but he makes very like dark, almost evil movies and like perverse movies. <laughs> Seriously, like Seven, Fight Club, I love them too. But um, <laughs> a Panic Room even is pretty dark um, as well. But uh, no, I, I just think it's great. Um, it, it's super rewatchable, even though it's almost like three hours, I think, or maybe two and a half. I don't remember. Um, but Chloe Sevigny is also in it. I mean, it's a great cast. Um, it's another one of those of like kind of a man losing his mind in a way when you think of Jake Gyllenhaal's character in that, um, as he goes from this just cartoonist in the San Francisco Chronicle to like the lead investigator in the Zodiac case years later. Um, it's a great. He's way more grounded than like a Daniel. Plank well, I mean, sure. I mean that that also is just. Um, I mean. There Will Be Blood is also PTA's, like, basically response to capitalism as well. Um, and yeah, so, uh, I mean, so Zodiac's a little different in that respect. But um, I, I just think, I think Zodiac's great. Um, I don't know if it's still on Netflix. It was at one point. But I, I, w- I would I say... I think it still is. Yeah, so I would say anybody anybody should check that out, even if they haven't seen David Fincher before. Because it's I, I think it's a very entertaining and very um, insightful movie of um just yeah just again just kind of the deconstruction of the of of masculinity and also just the deconstruction of like a relationship too because you see that marriage deteriorating as kind of he becomes obsessive towards this thing and so 
I, I love Zodiac. I watched Zodiac for the first time in quarantine, actually, and I was blown away. Yeah. Um, Nicole, what's your number three? Um, well, first, I want to point out that in 2007, both Ratatouille and the B movie were also <laughs> um, put out. So you're right, Brayden. It truly was the year to be in. Um, but my number three is Call Me By Your Name, which is kind of basic at this point. But um, I don't think it's basic. Really? Okay, cool. It has I mean, Timothy it's a really Shala- love story. That's true. Um, it has Timothy Shalamagoo in it. Um, <laughs> so, um, That's honestly I why I haven't seen it still. You know, we'll watch it. We should watch it. I read the synopsis. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I didn't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all I have to say is the ending scene of Timothy just sobbing just for a long time. Um, I think like your first thought, you would think that that would be like really uncomfortable just to like watch someone like cry for like an overly like extended time. But I thought that that was very beautiful. Um, And then also overall, I just like the use of color and the soundtrack too. We're both just like very good throughout. um, And it made all of us indie girls fall in love with (laughs) Italy um, and Timothy. And so I don't know. It's a very romantic summer kind of movie, um, which will also tear your heart into pieces. So very good. There are a lot of people that think the main relationship between those two is extremely problematic. Looking back, how do you feel about that? Um, well, I mean, yeah, (laughs) I will have to, I mean, he's almost like groomed into the relationship. You could argue because army hammer is just, old um in comparison to him and uh can i I I, pose a a, a kind of a response question to that are we supposed to be supportive of this relationship i don't know you know um because you know i mean i think you have a point that it's it's not really like up to us to really make anything of it because it's like it's his heartbreak that's just what happened you know um you can make the same argument of like pretty little liars when aria uh and ezra got together that's her freaking teacher you know that's so a it's a relationship man yeah and so it's uh uh it's a little it's a little off but um i mean it's not like we haven't seen it before in film so I also will add Michael Stuhlbarg's um, monologue at the end of that movie was oh, yeah. probably the best uh, like five minutes or however long that was of film in 2017 for sure, but probably one of the best like scenes of the decade, I think. I mean, it gets, I've seen this movie two or three times. It, it gets you every time. It does. It does. And also just like the relationship of, like a father and a son at the end too is just like wow that's that's a good dad right there shout out to him <laughs> great movie i um yeah. as i'm going up my list i'm now noticing that all five of my movies we talked about the directors in our directing category but uh my number three is parasite so mm-hmm. i i i think a lot of people think this is kind of high because recency but uh, I, I genuinely believe that Parasite was one of the most unifying movies in recent history. I have not heard a single person that has gone in and watched Parasite and not liked it. And those that were criti- um, that, w- that criticized it beforehand 
before watching it and then went in and watched it, ended up liking it. It's just, it's, it's a tale that resonates with everyone and does it in such a beautiful and engaging way. It's just like, it's, it's unrivaled. I, I, I think it's just every time you go back and watch this, it's another one of those movies like, like get out where you see something new every single time you watch this. And Bong Juno is so great at just making a movie enjoyable, but also hitting you with themes and making you learn something and take something out of it, whether you like it or not. I, I think it winning best picture was just one of the greatest moments in Academy award history recently. I mean, I don't know. You could say it is one of the most impactful Best Picture wins of all time. I mean, yeah. having a foreign a foreign language film yes. winning Best yeah. Picture mm-hmm. with like no, and not even foreign language. It all Asian. I think it's an all Asian cast winning yeah. in a in a Asian in a Korean director. Like that, that's one of the biggest moments in Oscars history. I don't think it's overstating it at all. Um, oh, I also. Yeah. I preface it just because I don't know the history of the Oscars, but just looking no. at the, when you watch the Academy Awards this year and you see the crowd erupt into just a roar of applause when this movie wins, you know, just everybody adores this movie. I also think of um, when Bong won, uh, when director Bong won uh, the best director Oscar, when Spike Lee was presenting and handed it to him that moment, just for me as like a film nerd, when he was shouting mm-hmm. out Scorsese and Tarantino and Sam Mendes and all of these guys, that have like impacted him that was I, i've watched that clip i watched it during the live broadcast i was but i probably watched that clip like close to 10 times now it's it is it's incredible director bong is a guy that's making great movies about class struggle i mean that's a that's a yeah. running theme throughout all of his films is class struggle you look at snowpiercer 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 outside of parasite snowpiercer is the most blatant one but i mean even in the host and memory it's a Murder really interesting and, dystopian movie though i love like the setting of i love the story, concept yeah. yeah the setup of it it's a very creative He's like an extremely creative storyteller in the he, premises that he, he designs. Also, for if his you films. think about it, he is heavily influenced by American cinema. Um, mm-hmm. He's heavily influenced by Hitchcock and Scorsese and a bunch of the a bunch of the the great American auteurs because that's what Bong is. I mean, director Bong is one of the best auteurs we have right now, and so he <laughs> he Parasite's awesome. Uh, I'm just curious why. How many times have you seen Parasite? I've now seen it four times. Okay, gotcha. I've only seen it twice, yeah. but it's a great film. <laughs> Most of the, the biggest reason I've I've watched it now four times is because I'm just sharing it with everyone I know. I'm like, <laughs> you have to see how beautiful the storytelling is because, as you said, he's just one of the best storytellers right now, just in general. He's so good at it. Anyways, I could rant about Parasite for so long. Uh, Corey, what's your number two? My number two, this was actually really struggling for me. I, like, I, I had to really think about this because... Um, I wasn't sure like if it really had impacted me enough to like really like get this high on my list, but I've come to accept the fact that uncut gems has become like one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and I, it's strange that like the number one thing that people usually say about it when they're asked about uncut gems is like, I, I loved it. It was too intense for me. And like, I can't watch it more than once. And for me, it's actually become the opposite and that I'm very soothed by this movie uh, if for no other You're reason than, soothed by this movie. Yes. Because of the Jewish representation that you see in this movie, it's actually very fascinating. And then I feel like Jewish characters historically have been pigeonholed into pigeonholed into these roles where they're either excessively religious 
or, uh, or entirely secular. Um, or there's like this middle ground in between where they'll mention their Judaism because like it contributes to the plot. Um, and this broke the mold of that stereotype and that it had a, a film that revolved around these Jewish characters and Jewish stories without it necessarily being like the plot wasn't about the fact that they're Jewish. Like that was not integral to the story. It just so happened that like they were Jewish characters living Jewish lives uh, and also telling this incredible story. So part of me, my heart just fluttered seeing that representation is really nice. And like, it makes you feel good when like you're, when you, you, you can like see people performing in a way that like really like resonates with you. Um, and also I thought it was just one of those like visually stunning and like creative movies. Like what oh, premise just that was that this guy finds this opal taken from what he calls Ethiopian Jews, which definitely are not, <laughs> which are real in real life, by the way, and really fascinating. Um, but he creates this whole con so that he can get this opal and Kevin Garnett's involved for some reason. And, well, um, and, that, that was interesting real quick, how that came about. Um, so the Safdie was brothers, to Kobe, wasn't it? Well, so hold on. So yes, Kobe was attached to one point. So the Safdie brothers who, I don't know why I blanked on this. They should have absolutely been named in like the best directors now because they, I mean, <laughs> good time, even further back, daddy long legs, all that. Um, heaven can wait. It's kind of what Scorsese Scorsese produced on good gems as well. But um, that film, so they're huge Knicks fans. Um, and they wanted to have Amari Stoudemire in there, but um, then that basically fell through type of thing. And then they got a call that um, Kobe, like, Hey, Kobe wants to act. So they're like, so they're like, okay, sweet. We'll get Kobe. So they did rewrites um, for it. And then all of a sudden they get, they get hit up like a couple weeks later, like, oh yeah, actually Kobe wants to direct. Never mind. So <laughs> Joel Embiid was attached to uh, like up, up until I heard about moment, that. Joel Embiid was attached and then it ran into the season. So they couldn't use an active player anymore. And so then, then they get Kevin Garnett and they're like, oh, we hate Kevin Garnett because he's a Celtic and all this other stuff. And so they, they talked for like three hours and then they finally got him to, um, to participate. But they went through like 12 drafts of this script because they first wrote it in 2009, but they wanted Sandler the whole time. And so right. they yeah. Sandler, they're like, oh, like they didn't even, an- he didn't even answer the first time, like 2010, 2011, whatever. And then they call him again and then, and they're like, oh, like a few years later and like, oh, um, it's cool. We might give it to him, but then they didn't hear anything back. But then Good Time comes out in 2017 and then Sandler contacts them. <laughs> and then that's when it full, that's when it comes together. But I, Uncut Gems is incredible. Fantastic um, I, I love, love, love that film. I love that. Film. It's one of the most anxiety inducing movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Brain, what's your number two? Um, my number two, let me look here. Oh, uh, real quick. Sorry. A couple other films that came out in 2007. I just want to say this real quick. <laughs> Hot Fuzz, Born Ultimatum, um, Darjeeling Limited, and Ocean's 13. And High School Musical too. in case you wanted to know. Extremely important. Yes. Also yes. enchanted. Of yeah. course. Of course. Um, but my, my next pick is, depends on the day, whether this is my favorite Tarantino or not. Um, I would probably go between this and Reservoir Dogs. But my number two pick is Inglorious Bastards. Mm. And I think it is in the conversation for the best paced movies of all time. I mean, that's, mm. that film is like two and a half hours, I think maybe even longer than that. And it, it just flies by. I mean, 
Uh, I mean, what, what, where's, where's even the place to start? I mean, Brad Pitt as Aldo Rain, he, he is just not, not chewing the scenery. He is chomping on the scenery in every single scene he is <laughs> with that accent and a killing Nazis and all this stuff. I mean, <laughs> Introduce the world um, to, I mean, Diane Kruger. A lot of people hadn't seen her. I mean, maybe National Treasure, I guess, but they hadn't seen her. Um, Michael Fassbender. It kind of introduced the world to Michael Fassbender. Um, introduced the world to um, the uh, Christoph Waltz. I don't know why I blanked at his name for a second. Uh, as Hans Landa, who is arguably the best written character that Tarantino has ever had. He won the Oscar for it, obviously. Has that ode to the searchers in the beginning of the film, that classic John Wayne, John Ford movie. Um it is probably, in my opinion, Tarantino's most entertaining film. Uh, it is it is kind of, it is his first of the revisionist history kind of trilogy, if you will, of that and Django and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that Tarantino kind of goes on. Uh, the ending when uh, Eli Roth and the other actor is blanking um, when they basically shoot up the theater with Hitler and all the Nazis in there and Goebbels, um, incredible ending. Uh, it is, it is like so Tarantino in a way that I think it turned people off, uh, just cause it is so bloody and so vicious. And even like that scene in the, in the pub where he does the wrong three when he's supposed to do the whatever. Um, and they figure out that he's not actually a Nazi. Like that's so intense. Um, I just, I just absolutely adore this film. It's, it's a, it's a blood fest, but I love it. Great choice. Nicole, what's your number two? So my number two is Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Oh, I know such a good film. Um, and the soundtrack again, so good. Also, I feel like it's one of those movies that you can just turn on for anyone. Um, because I feel like it's that universal for any audiences uh any audience um and the first time that i watched it i was on the plane to indonesia so it has a little soft spot for me just because i watched it on a little baby screen um and that was the first time that i experienced it also i feel like you can connect to each of the characters and overall just it's a good movie you know and you can rewatch it a million times and still love it you know i think one thing that really sets spider-verse apart is its animation style a hundred percent i think it is it's it's new and fresh it's not the same like computer generated or completely paper drawn looking um, animation style that we always see with things it looks like you're watching a comic book and yeah watch it i i originally watched in theaters and just watched that on the big screen was beautiful wonderful i i cannot compliment it enough for comic book fans especially like it's one of the greatest superhero movies ever made and that like it really feels like you're watching i love what you said why like that's how i felt it's how like it was intended to look it was like it looks like it just jumped off the page the way that i read a comic book when i see it on a page was the way that that movie was presented to me. Exactly. And it made me feel like I was, and it was just, it was such a touching like superhero experience to have in a theater. I yeah. look forward to seeing if other animators uh, mess around with their styles a little bit and make it more creative in, you know, after this movie. 
you also have to think about um, Shamik Moore as Miles Morales and getting Miles Morales on the big screen like that. Um, obviously, if you so had to cool. get him in the live action sphere, but still, I mean, Spider-Verse was a huge, it was a phenomenon. I mean, really when it came out and I think a lot of people gravitated toward it just because of kind of what you were saying, the visual style of it, having a, uh, a lead character in a comic, in a uh, comic book movie, a person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that was a huge, huge thing. And also just the fact that it, it it's, it's so fun, you know, it's a super entertaining movie. Um, the cast, the voice cast is great. John Mulaney is, I know. Nicholas, <laughs> yeah. Nicholas Cage is incredible. Um, Jake Johnson is great as uh, Peter B. Parker. I mean, it's just, just top to bottom. It's, it's got a lot of great stuff. Um, that's a good pick. Yeah, yeah I, I look forward to seeing more Miles in 2022 or whenever the sequel's coming out. Uh, my number two is Moonlight. I genuinely believe that it is one of the most important movies ever. Um, I think the way the, the way he he uses the screen and and um, imagery with it, it with scenes like the the scene with him teaching the kid how to swim or one trend that you see throughout the movie is the color shift as he grows older it's much warmer in the beginning of the movie and slowly transitions to be colder as the movie goes on and it's just representing how this kid is growing up and he feels like he has to hide himself and so he becomes cold and 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 brings himself to this toxically masculine ending where he just he doesn't he's not him and it's just it's just such an important story to tell and it's beautifully done and just everybody in it is phenomenal and yeah it's moonlight is great i mean mahershal ali i mean just he's 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 in it for a brief moment didn't, just in that first act but wins the win? oscar yeah yeah um, just for the first act yeah i mean he's incredible i think it was such a bold move for barry um Barry Jenkins to to cut that film in a way that it's such a deliberate and ri- almost rigid three act structure. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much. For a little yeah. little black and Chiron, or I might have got the order wrong, but um, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's super cool, and also I love the choice they made, kind of as they were shooting it. They didn't have any of the three main characters or main actors meet each other. So they kind of had all their, I didn't know that. They had all their inter- own interpretation of the character. And mm, I think that awesome. really played to the authenticity of just how they, um, how they grew up and how um, it, it's such a, it, I, I think important was a, was a uh, good ch- word choice there. Of um, This is one of those films that I think everybody should see. And I think the fact that I, I know, that, yeah. I know that uh, in the moment it was so wild when the whole envelope fiasco with Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway at the Oscars <laughs> that year where La La Land wins for 10 seconds. Then Jordan Horowitz goes up and says, no, it's yeah. actually Moonlight. I mean, that, that's one of the biggest fiascos in, in Academy history, but also what might, what kind of got lost in the moment there was the fact that uh, Moonlight won, you know, and it's a, mm-hmm. a predominantly black cast, a black director, black screenwriter. I mean, it's, it's also a testament, by the way, um, to Brad Pitt in a weird way, because his Plan B Productions has, is one of the most important uh, production companies working right now because they have 
they have lent a voice to a lot of uh, people of color filmmakers. I mean, they they produced 12 Years a Slave, which is how Brad Pitt won his first Oscar. They produced um, Last Black Man in San Francisco last year. They produced Moonlight. I mean, which A24 kind of helped that too. But um, and so uh, they they kind of they they've kind of ushered in a lot of really just powerful and what might have previously been seen as dangerous storytelling just because it was so like not not the norm if you will with the norm being just honestly quite frankly white stories being told by white storytellers and so i think that whole the whole moonlight and i keep saying this word phenomenon it, it really it really was such a powerful thing in 2016 and it's it's such a powerful movie. I mean, I know it's just four years later, but it's 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 really impactful. And it it truly, you can make a case it was the best film of the 2010s. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you make a really strong case. You see black movies and you see LGBT movies. You don't really see you know African American queer experiences on the big screen. And I think this pose. was the perfect way of doing it. True pose. Um, yeah, pose. That's too. true. Pose. <laughs> Uh, Corey, what is your number one movie since you were born? It's a perfect segue. Moonlight is my number one movie wow. since I was born. Um, I think like I, I like what Brayden you said earlier about like viewing movies to like a historical context and like viewing them in the time that they were made as well. Um, there's never been a time in American history that like racial tension or racial conflict didn't exist. That racist institutional racism didn't exist. Um, but 2016, especially 2017, was a very um, tumultuous time in terms of like race relations in America, and that we just we witnessed or we had just witnessed one of the greatest public white lashes in American history with the election of Donald Trump. Um, I think that like it was a slap in the face to most people in this country to see something like that, um, and like it surprised a lot of people, and it had people very um uh i can't even say the word exactly um i think that that people like needed like a win for someone that wasn't just like an angry white male uh, and moonlight yeah, barry jenkins comes up with this incredibly intimate beautiful visually stunning and gripping movies that touches your soul that there's no one that walked away from this movie who could say like there was some nothing in that movie that like challenged me or really shook me to my core and that it is it is a, a movie that's like going to live on for the ages because there are so few stories that connect so deeply like it's so deeply and intimate with all these characters that you really feel like you've developed a lifelong relationship with these characters i think it does an even better job than a movie like boyhood which also stands on its own as like an incredible film i think that it 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 perfected this this formula of a coming of age story to really connect with like a 21st century audience in a way that it had never done before and really kind of taking us back to our roots in a way as well and that you don't see a lot of like smartphones in that movie it really feels as if it's like a very like classic romance style story a romanticized story because we don't see a lot of these aspects of like technology that often like clutter our lives and clutter these stories and clutter our own identity it's really a story of these characters trying to find out who they are, maybe Chiron finding out who he is and who he wants to be. And for that reason, it's always going to be my favorite, I think. 
I think besides the word important, intimate is the other best way to describe this movie. Yeah, no, as well, especially that scene on the beach, um, especially at night. Um, I also just think it's worth mentioning uh, Barry Jenkins' follow-up, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. Criminally um, underrated. Criminally underrated. Uh, should have been nominated for Best Picture, um, in my opinion. But, um, no, that, that Barry Jenkins, he, he is he's a special filmmaker. Um, I, I think, I think it's, I loved what you said, Corey, about this being a challenging film. I, I think that a lot of the best movies, um, that are made for each and kind of what we were talking about earlier, I think the best movies, a lot of the times are challenging. Um, they challenge your perspective. They challenge your view on life. They challenge, um, just even what you've seen before, you know, and, and it was moonlight was told in such a way that, I mean, sure it, it, had its various influences and stuff like that but it was definitely it was very much of the moment and also could transcend the moment and so yeah that it's a power it's a powerful piece of cinema when we talk about influential directors i think barry jenkins is near the top for me for sure brain what's your number one um my number one is a film that probably none of you have seen (laughs) um and i didn't do that on purpose i just (laughs) i just picked it because he did it on purpose no some people might think that but um i i picked it because while after i finished watching it there have been i I have seen a lot of great films but there there are a few there are a few that you kind of watch and you kind of sit there stunned the first time as the credits roll and i remember my I, i watched it for the first time last summer and i remember i watched it with my roommate and he probably was thinking what the heck is this but uh but uh, i was just watching and as the credits rolled my head was in my hands just because i was so taken aback by what was on the screen and what had transpired and just the fact that i i'd heard about this movie before but i'd never watched it and i had heard of uh the the director of it this was actually his directorial debut um and but and I heard of him as a screenwriter because he he had written previous movies like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Adaptation and being John Malkovich and stuff like that. Um, but this was a, his directorial debut, and it, it's an awesome movie. Uh, Corey, I don't know if you want to try to guess. What I, know is, it. But, I know it. I know it. Oh, you do. I've, told, this, I've talked to you wait, about wait. this. But wait, can, I want to get. So was it released in two thousand eight? Yes. It was directed by Charlie Kaufman. Yes. This is Synecdoche, New York. Synecdoche, New York, <laughs> yes. Um, so it absolutely almost ended on my list. I, it's uh, incredible. Yes. No, I I try to um, kind of be the uh, the evangelist for this movie just because I, I think Charlie Kaufman, and I, I've since revisited his work not only by himself with like uh, Synecdoche, New York and Anomalisa, which is a great animated film that I don't think hardly anybody saw in 2015, um, his work with uh, Spike Jones, which he, he when he wrote adaptation and being John Malkovich, um, I, I think Charlie Kaufman is one of the best screenwriters. Um, I, I think he needs to seriously be considered as one of the best screenwriters, not only of the 21st century, but just in general. I think he deserves his flowers. Um, he should be in this. In my opinion, he's in the same class as in like as far as my like impact of his films. I put him up there with the Billy Wilders and the Quentin Tarantinos and, uh, and all these other incredible uh, screenwriters, uh, Robert Town. I mean, just all of some of the best screenwriters I've ever, or some of the best scripts that have ever been put to screen. I think he's, he's an incredible 
filmmaker in the sense of how he captures existentialism and how he captures the human mind because that that's really that's really kind of a running theme throughout all of all of his movies and all the movies that he's made and how um adaptation is kind of his movie about um kind of kind of grappling with fame and how that kind of can affect a person of that that pursuit being john malkovich is literally going into john malkovich's mind and kind of exploring that and um confessions of a dangerous mind is kind of is uh kind of also that lust for power as well. And Synecdoche, New York is Philip Seymour Hoffman um, basically falling apart in front of your eyes. Um, I mean, just the, the dissolution of a marriage, the dissolution of, fa- of uh, a father, father and daughter relationship, um, a dissolution of his career as kind of he goes from this, this uh, semi, semi well-respected playwright and play director, but also kind of that just falls apart and how he is basically having to be his own therapist. And now he's kind of having try forced to have this cathartic experience of replaying his life in front of his eyes for years and decades. And how, when Michelle Williams comes into his life and how he's able, how, how he's having to basically relive moments because he can't make sense of what's going on with his life. And how he's, I kind of turns with him being physically ill, but also mentally ill and his emo- and emotionally and how his daughter is basically taken away from him when his wife leaves him to go to Europe and how Jennifer Jason Lee's character kind of just basically provides this barrier between them. And I know, I know people have watched it and kind of, it's been a little too out there and a little too weird because it is a strange film. I will, I will admit it is, it is it is a hard pill to swallow um, for some people, and it kind of it, it didn't quite get um, the acclaim. I know like Roger Ebert and other people praised it when it came out critically, but like it didn't get the Oscar push. It didn't get anything really. Um, kind of came and went in that respect, but it is legitimately um, one of if we if we are making like an all time like fifty or hundred list, it would make that list for me of a, of a film I've I've seen in my entire life. It it's maybe that's just maybe that's just me having my own uh, fragile ego as a white man. Um, maybe that speaks to it. But I, I think that Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance and Philip Seymour Hoffman I think is one of the most underrated actors. And he's one of my favorites of all time. Just he, he is one of the best character actors we've ever had. And his performance in this is remarkable, absolutely remarkable, nothing short of it. And this film is just powerful. I know we've talked about a lot of powerful and important films, but this is this is an incredible body of work. Um, I don't know if I'd recommend it to everyone, honestly, just because I it think is, it's required viewing. It, 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 well, it's hard <laughs> to grapple with because it's strange. It is like how it, it's like, what does it mean to be a human? Like, that's what it's asking me is like, yeah, like, what does it mean? Like to view time the way that we do or to like want like a claim or power or money or like, or love. Like, and then when that all of these things just feel like constructs. Yeah. Like what, what does it all mean? And in the end, like the meaning of the movie really is like, doesn't really mean anything. Like it's all just kind of what you make of it. I mean, it's partly that, but it's also, it also grapples with the fear associated with that. There's a fear of not, of not being able to provide a fear of not reaching your goals, a fear of, basically right. coming because that's kind of what the ending is a fear of coming to the end of your life and you haven't accomplished anything right and mm-hmm. you haven't accomplished what you wanted to in your life what you set out to and that's kind of um what what caden has to grapple with throughout this movie it's it, it it is it is a phenomenal film um that that kind of that i i've seen it twice now um but it's 
it's a phenomenal body of work that is, is one of the best films I've ever seen. Well, there's my first recommendation from Braden. <laughs> uh, Nicole, what's your number one? Well, this is kind of short just because it's been a while since I've watched it. Um, even though I have Disney Plus and I can. Um, I think one of the craziest movies that I saw that I was like, whoa, this is insane, was Avatar. <laughs> um, and um, I feel like I'm going to get like dragged for saying that, but it honestly was crazy um, when it came out. Um, and I think my family and I watched it in theaters like three times just because I don't know. It shook everything. It was crazy. It was revolutionary for like, No one had not seen that movie when it came out. Yeah. And, and then and everything subsequently was in 3D when it didn't have to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. yeah. That was dumb. We, we definitely did not watch it in 3D. So we watched it normally. Um, but I think just, I think I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it. But it, again, it's one of those things that you can just go back and look at and not be like bummed out about at least I wasn't the three times that I did watch it um with my family um and it's just one of those really good like movie theater movies to go see um and I think like every James Cameron movie is a I was gonna say classic he never has a flop well well oh oh like box office wise and like box office wise he never has a flop (laughs) yeah I mean Titanic Titanic alone and like Terminator T2 the abyss I mean yeah uh True Lies is another great one um yeah I know James Cameron's one of those guys that's always been on the forefront of pushing aliens is incredible as well incredible um it's uh he's always been on the forefront of the te- of being kind of being ahead of the curve with like technology and filmmaking yeah. and filmmaking styles and avatar i mean say what you will about it basically being pocahontas or dances with wolves or fern gully or whatever whatever story it ripped off or whatever you have to you can't deny that it it was it was such a crazy film to see just visuals yes that, how that um how I was able to make that. So yeah, the filmmaking techniques, the most impressive part, I would say. Do you guys think the sequels will be good? I hope so. Okay. Wait, can we just talk about that? I saw a tweet about this, I think, or somewhere that like, there's never been another film that made like that required like less of a demand for a sequel that somehow got like three sequels immediately. Like there was no one out there like, when are we going to get Avatar 2? It was all about the money. (laughs) It came like years later where James James Cameron was like, I heard you guys still want Avatar 2. And we were like, what? (laughs) Like, we'll take it. But like, who asked for it? Seriously. He's rewritten the script like five or six times now. And he's a perfectionist. Well, he, you know, he is a perfect, you're totally right. He's a perfectionist. Um, It's funny because like Sam Worthington, in that movie, he's like, oh my gosh, he's in Avatar. But then he was in like Clash of the Titans. Then he was in like, I think maybe Terminator Salvation then. or something. But then he just disappeared because nobody yeah. liked him. What happened to He was in all these great sci-fi movies. Oh. They were good performances well, the too. Thing, like they weren't bad. The thing is from like 2009 to like 2011 or 2012-ish, he was in like all those big action movies. And then yeah. I think society just decided we don't like you. And so he <laughs> disappeared. And now the thing is, if you bring these Avatar movies back, like now it's over a decade after the first one. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you're moving like two billion dollars, you can do whatever the heck you want, honestly. It's like it's it I, I mean, I will go see it. I will go see every single one of them. I think we all will, yeah. But because I mean James Cameron, he he has his hits and misses, but I mean, when he hits, it's a it's quite a it's quite a show to watch. 
Yeah. And I think they're going to be very creative stories too. I think they're really going to like move away. Well, you also have to keep in mind like the what you said, like this Pocahontas kind of sta- like tale that seems like a very like white savior type of tale. Yeah. I think it was like the way that like the movie was scripted that I think it's not, it wouldn't be um, as popular now. I don't think as it was then partially yeah. just because of like the filmmaking techniques that like really popularized it. Um, now I think he's really going to try to get more creative with the story. Uh, yeah. And that, like, visually, we know it's going to be stunning. Every James Cameron film, like, pushes the boundaries of, like, what we know is, like, filmmaking and, like, of special effects. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited to see what he makes. He's, he's a very creative, uh, intellectual soul. And I, I love everything that he puts out. So Me too. When is Good that? Pick, Nicole. Thank you. I thought that y'all <laughs> were going to roast me for that. So to end it all off, my number one, going back to David Fincher, is The Social Network. Um, The Social Network is the movie that got me into movies back in the day. Um, Really? I I think the writing in the movie is incredible. I think the score in the movie is incredible. I think the acting in the movie is incredible. And I think... It's kind of weird looking back at it now because after everything that has happened with Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg in recent years, um, you could you could almost make a whole movie off of everything going on Facebook now. But yeah, I just with with how Jesse Eisenberg uh, and, and his supporting cast play that movie that intensely it's a movie about a nerd creating a website and yet it is extremely engaging extremely intense and it just shows the magic of david fincher and how he is able to make anything he touches magical and i can gush about the social network all day well you have to also point to the script of aaron sorkin um i of course of course aaron sorkin also is another one who came up in the school of William Goldman, who William Goldman is arguably the greatest screenwriter of all time, who wrote Princess Bride, Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, All the President's Men, all that stuff. But um, Aaron Sorkin, which by the way, have you seen a, have you, have you seen a Few Good Men? I have not. Because that was, that was like, so Aaron Sorkin wrote the play A Few Good Men, and then it was adapted by Rob Reiner in 92. And that was kind of mm-hmm. his introduction to Hollywood. So I would recommend... I'd recommend a few good men because that was kind of Aaron Sorkin's first thing. Then the West Wing happened and all that. But um, no, Aaron Sorkin uh, and his his script is so biting, and he's actually uh, publicly said a few times he would be open to a social network too if they were yeah. if they were able to if they were able to do it. I mean, you alluded to the the Reznor and Ross um, collaboration, kind of their bring. I don't know if they'd done a sco- uh, score before that because they were just known as like the fr- uh, Trent Reznor was just known as like the frontman of Nine Inch Nails, and then he comes mm-hmm. and does a score that is incredible. Um, and I, I think it's cool how like. Uh, this is like a super nerdy thing, but like Aaron Sorkin, like writes like verbal mistakes, like uhs and ums and pauses mm-hmm. into his dialogue. And so like that kind of, that kind of makes it uh, a little bit more human. Uh, yeah. Andrew Garfield, I think he, you can make a serious case that not only should he have been nominated for best supporting actor, he arguably should have won best supporting actor that year. That was yeah, the year Christian 100%. Bale. That was the year Christian Bale won for the fighter. And Christian Bale is great in that movie. But also you have to keep in mind that was a bit of category fraud because him and Mark Wahlberg are arguably co-leads in that movie. 
And yeah. so now granted Christian Bale is an incredible actor and he's one of those guys that if he hadn't won one, then it would have been those, like he's been nominated a bunch of times and he's due type of thing. But, and like, I get it. And, but like the, the fact that Andrew Garfield wasn't even nominated is like criminal in my eyes. And like, Justin, I think the scene when he learns he's out of the company is one of my favorite scenes. Did ever. you see, did you see Dylan O'Brien's reenactment of that? I did. That I was did. Incredible. <laughs> that was incredible. He was so good. As as you said, the writing in the movie is just impeccable. It's just it's a time it's a timely movie, and it's, it's just great. Every person in it is great. All right, well that is time to wrap up our show. Uh, thank you so much to Braden and Corey for coming on to talk with us today. Um, You're movies welcome. are obviously <laughs> a huge topic, and I'm sure we will return to it again soon enough. Um, until then, we'll be back with a n- next week with another episode of Reading Between the Lines. And remember to give us a follow on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts to be the first to know every single week when we are live. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at University Daily Kansan. Also, we are on Facebook and Twitter. Remember to practice that peace, love, and positivity. And stay safe, everybody. Thank you for listening. All right. Keep music. Goodbye. <laughs> Oh, <laughs>